Thank you very much for tuning into our show. This is our second show that we're going to be recording, so you can see it on YouTube as well. But all our iTunes listeners, don't stop downloading and just watch on YouTube. Still download the show. And uh, If you really feel inclined, you can, you can, you can head over to YouTube. In fact, you, you must have a look at it this week because uh, our guest has a rather impressive beard. He, he does. Uh, so for no, no other reason, you need to go and lo- uh, log on to YouTube so that you can just check out the impressiveness of his beard. He also has some great things to say as well. Uh, it's, uh, it is, in fact, Josh James, the Kiwi Bushman. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm actually proper excited for this. It, <laughs> it is. It's, it's one we wanted to do for a while, and... He's such a cool guy. I mean, it's... For those people who watched his, uh, his, YouTube, his YouTube channel, if you if you don't know his YouTube channel, then go and check it out. Josh James, Kiwi Bushman. And he's also on Discovery Channel, Kings yes, of the Wild. he is. So, so you can watch him on, on real TV. Yeah, now, on real too. TV. So if you uh, have got Discovery Channel or Sky, uh, then check him out on there. And it's it's the concept of the show is is going out hunting and living like, kings effectively proving proving if you can live like like a king off your own well you've seen it i haven't actually had a chance to watch it yet uh and if if you're wondering uh you know why is it light outside and why are we wearing slightly different clothes we actually record the beginning and ends of our show um sometime before or after the guests coming on so that they don't have to listen to us talking rubbish for, for a few minutes it's not rubbish you're if you're listening it's not rubbish no, <laughs> no it's but, not. yeah that, that's the reason why it's light outside and when uh, josh was on it was in, in, well, in it was in the middle of the, the night, for of us. night it was the because, morning for him. so there's a there's a there's a 13 hour time difference so it was the middle of the night for us and it was the the morning for him so we, we were going to get him to get up in the middle of the night too. No, yeah. We thought we we would inconvenience ourselves, so, but it was uh, yeah completely worth it. Uh, I think he's definitely the 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 guest who has been the furthest away on the podcast. He, now. He I mean, is, you can't get much can, further no, away. I, than I don't. I honestly don't think we can get much further away. No, maybe that's a challenge for. Though, though saying that, a previous guest that was on Chris, he's actually in Antarctica right now. That we he, wasn't, he wasn't. He wasn't when we were speaking podcast, to him. But he, yeah, but, that's a good point actually. Is that, um, yeah, Chris is on his way to Antarctica right now. And if you want to know about him and the expedition that they're on, you need to go back to, I don't know which podcast uh, it is. I think it's four. four. I think it's four. four. But uh, just look for like Antarctica expedition in the title. And it's a really great story that, and they are doing it right now. Yeah, so right now. They're, they're heading off and, well... We, we wish them I'm just the trying to think when this podcast goes out, how they'll probably be in Antarctica. They will. Well, I know they've left. They've, they're on their way. Hasn't no, they? but he's obviously not actually there right no, now. No, no. As in, they're they're they are almost there. Oh, they are. They've left the Falklands. Oh, okay. So they they are on their way. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. So a, I imagine story, they though. will be in snow and ice when when this when podcast actually comes out. But like we said, we've got Josh James, the Kiwi Bushman, on. He, if you don't know who he is, which I imagine quite a lot of you do. Go and check out his YouTube channel. Just type in Josh James Kiwi Bushman and it comes up. He's got loads and loads of videos. Huge amount of content. Um, doing some really, really wicked stuff um, in out in New Zealand. Uh, very different to what we, we have here. Helicopters and... and Helicopters, white water rafting. White rafting and it's top of mountaintops, carrying game off on your back. It's just, it's, re- it's really great stuff and it's, it's kind of hunting at its rawest. Um, so anybody who likes that kind of thing in the proper wild experience, 
you need to check them out. Yep. So don't forget to subscribe to us and download us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and of course, for the people watching on YouTube, hit, uh, I think I've already said that, but anyway, hit subscribe and uh, we hope you enjoy the show. This podcast is brought to you by the Scottish Association for Country Sports. Well, um, yeah, Josh, thank you so much for joining us and uh, taking the time. We know you're a very busy man. We also know you're uh, about to disappear off hunting for the week. So, yeah, thanks for taking the time. And it's uh, like my brother was saying before we started uh, recording, it's uh, been a, a little bit of a challenge. One, me being away and also time differences. Uh, you couldn't be much further away from where we are in Scotland. So, No worries. I think just to, to kick off, I want to talk about your shows and, and what you do, but one thing I don't know is how you got to where you are today. I'd like to know a little bit about your childhood and, and your upbringing and how you got into what you're doing today. Well, where do I start? I didn't actually grow up on the South Island. I grew up on the North Island of New Zealand on the East Coast and in the concrete jungle, so to speak. And my hunting career started down in the city sewers and drains with a Shanghai or a slingshot. And me and my brothers had a couple of fox terrier dogs and we used to go terrorise the local rat population uh, when we were about, I don't know, this is six and seven. So we were pretty pretty small and we, we used to just wander around the creeks and whatnot. New Zealand was relatively safe back then. There wasn't much stranger danger. Well, no one even had heard of stranger danger, actually. So there was the odd child getting kidnapped, but not many, so <laughs> just get us free. Hey, Jack. Jack, I'm just trying to interview here with some people. Mate. No, that's my, uh, my nine-year-old son. That's that's right. Right. We, we, we got introduced to... when you were getting a glass of water. Uh, mum's uh, mum's just taking the kids out now, so I believe it's in a bit of peace and quiet. <laughs> hey, where was I? Oh yeah, rat hunting. That's how my hunting career started, and it, and it progressed as we started to roam further afield on our BMXs. We started to get into the local rabbit population, which led to us getting a couple of ferrets as well as the fox terriers. So we biffed the ferrets down the rabbit holes, and they chased the rabbits out, and then me and my brother and the foxies would stand at the rabbit burrows and either catch the rabbits as they come out or the foxies would grab them as they come out of the other holes that we weren't guarding. It was quite fun, actually. They, they do quite a bit of that um, in this country, the ferreting and that. I've, I've done it once a few years ago. It is actually good fun. Yeah, I've done, I've done yeah. it quite a bit. We, we, we tend to do it to shotguns, though. Yeah. Yeah, we, we progressed to that when we were teenagers, standing over the burrows with shotguns. It's quite <laughs> exciting. You can hear them thump, 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 thump mm. coming out of the burrows and they just explode out. We didn't actually hit many. We fair call. We, we probably uh, spent quite a bit of money on shotgun showers and <laughs> with not doing it that way. But it was certainly a lot more fun. Um, I just just one thing: is there any chance you'd be able to just move your webcam up slightly? I'm talking to a beard, and I appreciate beards <laughs> a lot. But yeah, no, we've got, uh, <laughs> you've got to appreciate to the beard. But desktop there. Oh, oh! I think he's uh, managed to pull the cable out the back, possibly. Yeah, yeah. So what was? How did I get here? Um, where did I start? So that's kind of where I started. And then I, uh, I was a bit of a, a rat bag when I was at school. I had a lot of energy, and they back they classed it as ADHD. Well, they didn't back then. Now they do. They say it's ADHD, which I reckon is a load of bollocks. I reckon people, kids with ADHD, have just got more energy than other kids, and they need uh, more entertainment at school, I guess. And I wasn't being engaged enough and I was, I was quite a, a smart smart ass smart 
Don't know how you'd say that, but uh, but yes, I was I was pretty bored at school, and and that led to me being naughty at school, and I ended up going to a few different schools, which in turn led to hanging out with the wrong crew, and I started to uh, go off the rails slightly as in my early teens, and and I got I got the boot from home fairly early. My mum kicked me out of home when I was thirteen. Oh wow, that's that's young. So I went down to live with my dad, and I um, lasted a couple of months with him, and then he'd had enough of me. So I ended up moving up to the central North Island, which is where I got into deer hunting. And I've kind of hunted on and off over the, the last few, well, the last 20, 30-odd years, I guess. I didn't really get into, into serious hardcore hunting till about, probably about 15 years ago. I've always shot the odd deer or... You know, gone duck shooting and, and been involved in, in rabbit shooting and whatnot and mucking around with bows and arrows, but I I didn't really start hardcore hunting to the I discovered tar and chamois hunting in the South Island's west coast. I moved here about fifteen years ago and I've been living here ever since and yeah, I just got stuck into it, I guess. So where where from the age of so when you left your dad's place, how old were you there and, and where were you where were you living at that point? Uh, I was 14, and I was living in the central North Island around the volcanoes, around Mount Rapehu. Uh, I moved up there because of the ski fields. I, I did. My dad's a, a bit of a ski bum. Um, he's not much of a hunter. He's just he likes skiing and <laughs> so to speak. So I got involved in the ski lifestyle when I was 14, and I moved up to the central North Island. I was working on the ski fields in the weekends and going to school when I was 14 in the weekdays and uh, and then I left school as soon as I turned 15 I left school I'd had enough of school and I just started working on jobs mainly in the forestry um, also in shearing gangs pressing pressing wool bales and shearing sheep and whatnot and I did a whole bunch of other odd jobs around New Zealand working in the farming sector doing a bunch of fencing and a bunch of uh, general shepherd work and bits and pieces like that so I was. I started work from a young age. I just wanted to make money and and buy a car to start off with, and then buy some fishing rods and, and a rifle. And I was pretty much just travelling around the country, working on jobs and fishing and hunting. And did, was there anything in particular that you saw yourself doing, or were you just happy just to sort of go from one thing to the next? Or did you kind of foresee a career at any point at that age? I did. I I, I figured I wanted to maybe get get into a wee bit of photography and maybe start making videos in the ski industry. Uh, my brothers, my me and my brothers were all heavily involved in the ski industry in the winter. My younger brother was actually a sponsored snowboarder when he was 16, sponsored by Burton, and I was doing a bit of ski racing, well, ski across racing, not really ski racing, kind of motocross on, on snow. So there's seven, seven races, they all go down, five to seven races down the track at the same time. So... I wanted to be a professional ski across racer. Uh, and then in the summertime, I was just working in forestry and the sharing gangs because I didn't have uh, any trade or whatnot. And, and that was fairly well paid money back in the day. And then in the wintertime, I'd go to the skip snow. And that kind of came to a grand, grinding halt when I was 19. I had a really bad ski accident, broke my back in five places. So that was my skiing accident, my skiing career, <laughs> put on hold, so to speak. Yeah. And I discovered, uh, discovered whitewater kayaking and whitewater rafting. And... I thought, hey, that looks like a pretty awesome way to make a living. And I've always been a firm believer in doing what I enjoy. My dad said, don't worry about going to university. If you don't want to, just find something you really like doing and do that and you'll have a great life. So I took his advice and I did that. And for the last 20 years, I've been traveling all over the world, working as a raft guide in a few different countries all over the place and going back to back summer. So I'd come to New Zealand for the summer 
And in the autumn, I'd do a bit of hunting, um, and then I'd go overseas, and then I'd come back in New Zealand in our spring and hunting and fishing and rafting, and that's been my lifestyle for the last 20 years. It doesn't doesn't really sound much like work, does it? <laughs> no, it's been a, been a pretty enjoyable way to make a living, I guess. And about nine years ago, I had my first child, and of course, that put a, a bit of a damper, the old ball and chain, <laughs> the handbrake on my international rafting career because it was too expensive to travel with kids and I had another child and now I've got three kids. I've got a nine-year-old, a six-year-old and a one-year-old. So traveling all over the world being a raft guide is, is not really an option. Uh, so I started my own rafting company here on the West Coast about nine years ago and then in the winter times, I didn't have any employment because there's no tourists here in the winter. You can't really whitewater raft in the winter. So I started trapping possums over the winter. Uh, yep. So I jumped into the fur trade, and that was paying the bills. I wasn't really making any money, but I was keeping the wolves at bay and stopping the bank from taking my house and my business. Mm-hmm. And I did that in the winter, and in the summertime, operating my whitewater rafting guiding business, which has a wee bit of hunting, guiding, and fly fishing as well, Being uh, working as a fly fishing guide in the summer. And how did the Kiwi Bushman brand come about? That came about two and a half years ago, so May... May 2013. I didn't. I didn't realize it was quite quite uh, so yeah. recent. I, 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 was, I thought it was a few yeah. years before that. Actually, yeah. I, I actually got introduced to you by my cousin that lives in New Zealand, um, Anthony, and we sat. He, had, he lived in the UK. At he the time. lived in the UK. Lives over in New Zealand now. And when I was over last year, he was like, "You need to watch this guy." I was like, "All right, okay." Sat down and he put on a YouTube video, and I was like, "Now th- this is my kind of YouTube channel." So video after video after video. I was watching. It was and it was so different to anything else that I had really seen on on YouTube before. Yeah, and he had Anthony, um, the same cousin he's talking about. He had introduced me to your channel maybe six months before that. Before he had decided to abandon me, he was my big fishing and hunting buddy over here, and he abandoned me to go to, to better places. And now, he, <laughs> now he lives in New Zealand and tells me about all the awesome stuff he does. Uh, but yeah, so that that was how I came. Now, but but before we want to talk about. Uh, the Kiwi Bushman thing. There's just one thing I just want to backtrack on a second. In amongst that crazy kind of lifestyle you were living, how did you meet your wife? Outside dog. Oi. <laughs> Bloody mongrels. Give them an inch and they take a while. <laughs> just around for food that the kids have dropped on the floor. Uh, how did I meet my wife? Well, I was uh, working as a raft guide in Canada at the time, slaying a few dragons and looking for my princess, as you do. <laughs> 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 I pretty much got sick of working my way through the dragons and stumbled across my princess. She came rafting, and and I. So she was a client. She was a client. Oh. Yeah, I, I, she came rafting, and it was love or lust at first sight for both of us. And a bit of a whirlwind relationship, actually. I was only over there for well, met her two weeks before I had to come back to the country, and we hung out for probably a total of five or six days. And then I came back to New Zealand. She stayed in Canada, and then about six weeks later. Uh, she lost her job in Canada and said, oh, I'm thinking about doing a bit of traveling and coming to New Zealand. And she came over to New Zealand, and before you know it, she was pregnant, and the rest, and <laughs> the rest is history. Pretty much it. Yeah, we're still living in sin. I'm not actually married. so uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like to call her my practice family. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see we're going to court. Are we going to court some controversy with this podcast? Yeah, I, can I know. Tell that already. I know. <laughs> uh, well, she's not terribly fussed about getting married and the big wedding, and it's just, in my point of view, it's a, it's a big waste of money. I'm, I'm pretty happy with her. She's happy with me, and we've got a family and kids now, and we're fairly settled down. We've got a house, and 
So I think in ma making it officials. You've got everything you need. Yeah, you've got everything you need. We might get married one day. I think we'll just have a big party on the beach or something if, if we go down that track. <sighs> but yeah, okay. So okay, now that now I've tackled that important question, uh, back to the, the Kiwi Bushman thing. So you're at the point now where obviously you've got a family, you've got a couple of kids, and now people are starting to see you online. But what made you do that? Uh, wow. It was... It was kind of by chance, really. I've been mucking around with a camera and a video camera for for probably 15-odd years, but I've, I've never been in front of the camera. I've just I mainly got, got a video camera and, a, and a, a good quality photography camera for the rafting business because I couldn't afford to pay a photographer to take photos and do video to promote my rafting. So I got a video camera and, and took photos and whatnot, and I've always been fairly good at photographer. You know, I've had a good eye for for bits and pieces I, i'm not great at the technical aspects of all of it <laughs> being a bushman i'm not well versed in the technical side of photography but i've always taken videos and taken photos so may 2013 which is when i made my first video which was the possum whisperer now this came with about a sleepy stick with a sleepy stick Byron, <laughs> I, 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 you know what one of the best one of the best one of the best phrases i think i've ever heard online is the sleepy stick <laughs> Give him a little pat on the head. Yeah. <laughs> Slowly put him to sleep with yeah. my uh, my hammer, which is which is what I used to pat yeah. him on the head with, so to speak. So a friend in Canada heard that I was plucking possums. And of course he's like, What the hell? Pluck plucking possums? Is that kind of like plucking beavers? And I was like, Well, no, no, it does have its similarities, but uh so he was intrigued. Now, what was I doing? Out walking around in the forest in the woods. He said, Why aren't you coming back to Canada and rafting? I said, mate, I can't afford the air tickets. I'm I'm trapping possums and I'm plucking them and I'm selling the fur. So he said, Well could you make a bit of a video to to show me what this is all about? So I did. I made a short video about my life out up in the hills and I introduced my campsite, my tent. I just had a little what do I have? I had a oh my DSLR, a Canon, yeah, Canon DSLR. At the time, I didn't have a GoPro or anything like that. So I started off with that, and I was just walking around the forest, talking. Cause you're a bit crazy when you're out in the hills. Anyone who spent time out in the wilderness or the bush on their own for any amount of time knows that you go a little bit stir crazy, and you crave human contact, and you end up talking to yourself and talking to trees and. And having these weird conversations. Well, I do. I don't know if anyone else does. I'm just assuming other people do this because that's what I do. When I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm with him normally, so we never... Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I definitely recommend going out in the wilderness for at least seven days. I used to go out for 10 days at a time trapping possums. And it is quite hard. That's the hardest thing to deal with is the loneliness. Mm -hmm. And, of course, when I was carrying my camera around, I started to kind of talk to my camera. My camera was Wilson. Yeah. So Tom cast away yeah, you had yeah. the soccer ball yeah. i had my camera so i started having conversations with my camera and it, people really enjoyed the first video they said hey this is fantastic why don't you do another one so i thought about it and i just bought a, a mac desktop and an edit final cut pro editing suite for the rafting business because i wanted to polish the rafting videos up so i had the equipment right yeah. there i didn't really know how to use it so mm -hmm. i was doing youtube tutorials and whatnot figuring out how to use all this fancy stuff and geez, gave me a fright, Jack. And, uh, and yes, yeah, so I started make polishing my videos up a little bit, and I thought, oh, maybe I'll do a few hunting ones. And I started to do hunting ones and fishing ones, and and then I got to thinking, hey, maybe I can make some money out of this. Maybe I can get a New Zealand television show. Mm. And I didn't know at the time that there's not really much money in TV here in New Zealand. You get sponsorship and whatnot, but you don't make any money out of it. Uh, so 
I started to do hunting and fishing videos, and then I got a few clothing sponsors and whatnot, and then it just word got out, and I've slowly been getting more and more viewers ever since. Yeah, um, it's amazing. I mean, and, and obviously it's led on to your Discovery Channel series that you've uh, you've just done. Which it uh, has, which, yes, I've actually I get calls on a fairly regular basis from production companies. I need to do different bits and pieces. Uh, most of it's survival orientated, which yeah. is weird because I don't really have many survival videos out there. Uh, but yeah, so I have I've had a couple of uh, calls previous to the Discovery production company calling me up and one was for a bow hunting gig in Portugal and another one there was other bits and pieces and I ended up deciding to go for this Discovery Channel one because someone said Discovery Channel it's massive you that's the most opportunity and I wasn't I'm not really keen to do the survival stuff it's yeah. it's extremely difficult it's extremely challenging it's hunting without food mm -hmm. uh, but I thought, oh, I'll give it a crack so I went over to where was it Panama where they filmed the pilot for it and it was originally going to be called Lost and Starving and the idea was that me, well, they needed one survival guy and one English chef, and they were going to put them in these exotic locations all over the world, and there was not going to be any food, and yeah, no one was going to... Yeah, grow outside, okay? All right, mate. Because she keeps on following us to blag her, okay. but she's not allowed to okay. in a sneaky yeah. way. All right, mate. Well, you just go close the door. Oh, and I'll... No, she's all right. Just close the door, mate. Leave them inside. There we go. So where was I? Yeah, so it was kind of the, the premise was lost and starving. One survival expert, one English chef, and six different exotic locations around the world, not eating anything and arguing and fighting yeah, and pretty yeah. much having a miserable time. And so they chose me and they chose the English chef, and we were both quite hungover on the day because the night before we got on the piss and we were talking to each other and there was a there was a couple of other survival experts there, and they were American and they were very gung-ho, and one was uh, had been in the blimmin' Uh, Marines and the other one yeah. was uh, was a had a survival school and we figured that hey we weren't going to get the part because I was just a hunting dude who didn't really know much about survival. So, oh, so you were it, it was an audition almost. It was an audition. Oh yeah. right, okay. So three survival guys and two English chefs. Okay. And he said, "Well, I, I might get the part, but the other guy he's got a few television gigs already." So we just got on the piss the night before. <laughs> And the next day when they filmed the audition, we were really hungover and we were kind of arguing <laughs> because we, we'd had enough of it, so to speak. And the, the powers that be must have thought, hey, let's pair these two guys up because they're going to argue the most and, and cause the most drama. And this guy doesn't really know what he's doing. And the English chef is just a grumpy old bastard. So <laughs> get some good drama out of them. And it turns out we actually got on like a house on fire. And uh, it also turns out I'm actually quite a good survival expert. <laughs> I, feel, I know what I'm doing out there and I'm a good trapper and hunter. So they put us in the first location, which was Mexico. They didn't expect yep. us to catch anything, and I just smashed it in the first week. I actually caught a whole bunch of stuff that they weren't allowed to use on film. I caught two pigs. I uh, shot a couple of turkeys, two which ended up being endangered. So they can't use those <laughs> in there. Uh, well, not can, can we broadcast that? Yeah, are we allowed to broadcast this? <laughs> no, probably not. I'll probably no, it's, we'll, we'll, we'll do it anyway. Yeah, it's in the UK. Nobody will care. <laughs> No one will care, no. So I pretty much went out and smashed it in the first week. And then they got to thinking, hey, well, these guys aren't lost and they're not starving. They're not starving so, uh, anymore. As, uh, all the other survival programs out there, the guys don't catch anything. So there's one fellow that's been doing it for years. I'm not allowed to name any names, but he has never caught anything, ever. Every every single thing that he has caught on screen has been placed there for him. And the same yeah, goes We, we can guess. Survivors. We won't yeah. say any names, but we could guess. Uh, yeah, so so they just assumed that I'd be the same as other, these other guys and wouldn't catch anything. But I smashed it in the first week. Caught heaps of stuff. We caught a bunch of fish and other stuff, and we were eating quite well. So they changed it from Lost and Starving to Kings of the Wild, which is great. 
because now the premise of the show is about two blokes out in the wilderness eating having good. a good time. Eating good. Yes, yeah, yeah, me and the sheep like have got the house on fire and um, court heaps of stuff, so... I will. Yeah, admit, I, I will admit. I actually only watched your the, the your that show yesterday, only because in in this country, Discovery you've got to pay for, and my parents have it, and I don't. <laughs> so I had to go. I had to. I had to go around to their house and 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 steal it, and I really enjoyed it. But I have to say, on the first episode, when you first arrived, you looked at as Matt, is it? You looked at him and looked. You kind of looked at each other as if like you've just been thrust together so quickly. You didn't have a clue who each other were. And you're just like, right, we're kind of got to crack on now, I guess. <laughs> that was the point, yeah. 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 Was that, was that the case? You literally had never met. And exactly night one... like that. We're just thrust together two days, hanging out before the show at the hotel. Well, what, not even that what, a day and a half. And then we're out in the wilderness. We didn't know what to expect. The producers of the show had never made any kind of show like this. They didn't know what to expect. They didn't know, what, how, what they were going to film or how they were going to film. They just kind of threw us out there and followed us around with the camera and said, well, you guys go and do your stuff. And How many cameramen did you have? Uh, there was three cameramen and there was a director and, and a series producer and an editor wow. and a couple of safety guys. And safety guys. guys. There was, so we were out there hunting with a crew of about 15 people behind us. It was impossible. We didn't shoot anything on the first four days. Because there was so many people following us that must have been, that, that must have been really hard for you, for for hunting. Oh, it was extremely difficult because everyone was talking and yakking. I was like, guys, there's not going to be any animals in this entire valley. And that's pretty much why we lived on acorns for the first four days. Because all the animals just up and left and disappeared. Yeah. And, and then I, on the fourth day, I got fed up and I said, look, this is not going to work. I'm not going to be able to catch anything. Which they were fine with because they didn't really want me to catch anything anyway. And it, we ended up going to the down to the bottom of the valley in the next location and me and one cameraman snuck off and that's when we started to to discover the game and roam a bit further afield because we were making less noise and I managed to shoot a few things and trap some things and it started to go quite smoothly from then on in. Did As a totally different experience for you having somebody dedicated to filming you did you enjoy that or do you like the did you prefer the freedom of the stuff that you do yourself? Obviously it's on a totally different level but I mean it's so different. It was. It was really good having a cameraman, but the hard thing for me is I, I'd, I'd prefer to direct the show. It's not my show. I'm just a presenter. Yeah. Um, it's, it's Discovery's channel. I'm just the guy in front of the camera. I don't have much say over what happens. I don't have much say over the edit. Um, I don't have any say in the locations we go to. I will if it goes to season two. If we get another season out of it, I'll get involved a lot more, which will be great. Mm. So the hard thing for me was having a director call all the shots and uh, a lot of it I disagreed with and I wasn't happy with and it was it was very challenging for the first three episodes and then they ended up firing the director because <laughs> oh, really? they a bit of an egg and, uh, and then the last three episodes which were Bulgaria uh, Bulgaria, or Bulgaria and Finland I, I, uh, we, I haven't watched Finland yet I've seen the Bulgaria one though uh, yeah, they went they went a lot smoother because we didn't have the director and we were kind of calling the shots me and Hammerman which is a fantastic guy Dan Etheridge um, legend, really awesome fella. Uh, we just pretty much went out there and made it up ourselves, and everything went a lot smoother. So it was very challenging for the first three episodes with everyone kind of everyone had their own idea of what they wanted to do, and I wanted to do this, and the director wanted to do that, and the editor wanted to do that, and the cameraman wanted to do something else. So there was a lot of in-house tension, and it took a while to smooth that all over. But once we got that sorted, everything just went 
hunky-dory, now, pretty much. Now you ate something. I was telling Byron about this earlier on. You ate something on one of the episodes that you almost... You, I think you threw up almost straight away. What was it? Was it, was it a piece of a cactus or something, was it? it was the, yeah, it was a, a agave. I don't know. Maybe I, I have an allergy to agave from drinking too much tequila when I was younger. <laughs> I used to go on binge. I used to binge drink. And I, tequila was my drink of choice when I went out and, and, and got loose. Uh, I've, I've learned my lesson now not to binge drink. But in New Zealand, there was a binge drinking culture when I was a teenager. And I it's think... Still, it's the case all over the world, not just New Zealand. <laughs> and it's especially you guys binge drink till you're about 80 or 90 years old. <laughs> yes. it's, it's what you do. You live for the weekend and go out and drink. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> but anyway, so I think we inherited that culture from the English over here in New Zealand. And I'm pretty sure that I've developed an allergy to the agave plant because as soon as I ate it, bang, I just threw up straight away. And I actually had a really good chunder that they got on film and it was bits of spill. I saw it. Yeah. But they didn't choose that one for this. For the shot, which is funny, they choose one of me just having a little a l- l- little bit of dribble coming I out. Really, I just everything came up, all this gooey cactus mess and acorns uh, and crap that we'd eaten for all all day. So we're chowing down on acorns, and we actually ate another cactus, uh, the prickly pear cactus, which oh, they yeah. didn't show. It was kind of like butter beans. You trim all the, the you know, the prickly pear, yeah, the yeah, black ones. Prickly pear, yeah. yeah, you just trim all the spines out and boil that up. So we'd eaten probably a couple of cups of that previous to the agave, and that was what came up. Mm, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> sorry we, we we had um just oh no sorry i thought you were about to speak yeah. um so it's all the episodes have they all aired now have all the episodes aired on no on i TV don't think they have no they haven't no they've only just started airing in asia or oh, the 10th of february is the premiere in asia which is the discoveries one of the biggest markets so we won't find out if it goes to a season two until it's aired in Asia, so it'll really? be the end of March, early April at the earliest, which is great. That means I'll get to to have the Red Deer Raw. I'll be able to hunt the Red Deer Raw, which yeah. I only got to hunt half of last year. And I'll get opening day for duck shooting season, which is fantastic. I missed you, opening you, day last year because we were over in bloody Bulgaria or somewhere. So yeah, you've got your priorities right there. I like that. And for the for the UK guys who listen to the podcast, the Raw is our rut. Same thing, different. Yeah. yours sounds cooler. I yeah, it does. Say. It does sound cooler actually. <laughs> The raw, the it's raw, got a bit, yeah. of a, a bit of a twang to it. But you guys have red deer over there too, don't you? Yeah, that's yeah. what that's what we've been hunting. Last, well, I mean, your your weeks. red deer came from here originally, as far as I believe. Yeah, it came from Scotland, didn't they? Well, yeah. we also we call the uh, the chamois the chamois of the rut when the chamois are rutting, and also the fallow when the fallow are rutting. We call that the rut as well. Oh, okay. it's only the red deer egg hunting that we call the raw because of the sound. Yeah, okay. Because of the sound, yeah. Which is, oh, me and Byron, because uh, we've been filming a, a series, um, which is out in February. February. Um, and we've been hunting mainly red deer on that. And I tell you what, it's been, it's been a challenge. <laughs> yeah, we, and we were, we were out during our uh, rut in October, actually. So yeah. our very first episode, uh, episode is going to be during our rut up in the Isle of Skye, up on the, up on the west coast. It's, right right uh, up in the, uh, as far up in the mountains as you can really get for us. It's, it's not quite the Isn't scale it? as New Zealand, though. No, it's not. It's we, not we, quite. we we don't have to use helicopters quite as much as you guys. <laughs> that, that seems to be a regular occurrence on your on your 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 show is uh, getting a chopper in and out. Is is I'm assuming is, yeah. is that the, the only way? Is it? Coast. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's it's, kind of, it's the only way unless you want to walk for five or six days to get right up there into the mountains. Uh, helicopters are, are the cheapest and most effective form of transport available. And with the so many of them here, it costs probably about 
don't know, a couple of hundred bucks a pop to get up in the mountains. And again, it's such a huge country up there and the animals aren't all over the place. They're only in little pockets of place to know where the animals are. And uh, mm -hmm. I have the advantage of, of Whitewater Rafting Company. We use the helicopters a lot up and down the coast to get to the different rivers that we raft because most of our rafting is helicopter access. Yeah. But I know all of the helicopter pilots. And so if we're going hunting in one particular catchment, I just need to ring up the helicopter pilot. And uh, because I'm mates with him, he lets me know exactly where the animals are. So when we go hunting, we can fly straight to the animals. So it's a huge advantage being mates with all these chopper pilots. Yeah, pays to know. Pays to know people. Yeah, definitely I, does. Yeah. I want to ask you about the the hunting situation in New Zealand, but just before just before that, just to sort of finish with the video side of it, um, two things. One is, I, obviously, there was no you doing the discovery stun uh, discovery channel stuff has had no restriction on you putting videos out on your you know the stuff that you've always done because I still see you churning out stuff and you know the same cool stuff that you're always doing. That was part of the deal when I when I signed signed up with Discovery was that I was still allowed to do my YouTube channel. I could still put whatever I wanted on my YouTube channel. And as far as other television productions, I'm not allowed to do any survival stuff with any other companies, but I can still do hunting and fishing related stuff here in New Zealand. And I can still have a, a hunting and fishing program in the UK if I choose. Okay. Oh, okay. So, so it does leave it quite open for you really then? It does, yeah, yeah. When you were speaking earlier, you were saying you didn't realize that there was no money in New Zealand television. You kind of had the, these ideas of being on a, a New Zealand television channel. How does it work there? I, I mean, it would be very difficult for us to get anything on a UK uh, channel, for mainly hunting. because of they don't really like they don't hunting. really like hunting stuff on TV here. But how does it work in New Zealand? Well, in New Zealand, uh, we love hunting and fishing over here, and there is room for another hunting and fishing television show. But the problem is the television networks don't pay much money per episode, so all the money comes from sponsorship. Yeah, uh, It's just finding those major sponsors is quite hard. I don't actually have a major sponsor at the moment. I don't have an optic sponsor. Uh, I've got a clothing sponsor, Stony Creek. They just give me clothes and equipment, but no one gives me money as of yet. So I'm still to find a, a major optic sponsor and when I do get a major sponsor, what I'll probably do is, is then approach the television station and say, look, I've got a, a, a sponsor who can pay for filming and production. Once we've filmed, say, six episodes to start with, are you guys happy to pay for those six episodes? But they'll only give three to $500 per episode. Wow, so there's no is. money coming from the television stations. It's all through sponsorship. Wow. So it's so more it's about the exposure. Yes, yeah, it's, it's more about the exposure than the money for television. That's what. It's about the exposure yeah. than the money for television. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it, it used to be the television stations used to give money, but now that there's this whole social media platform and, and internet platform, yeah. the television has they've kind of lost their grip on the on the on the viewers. So well, to speak, you, so. th you think about YouTube. YouTube almost has an unlimited access to people around the world, as a New Zealand television channel would only have access to people in New Zealand. So uh, obviously right. the. The money would. Uh, I mean, me, me and Byron found from our show that you know we we had to get sponsors. Yeah, that's, that's to, the only way we could. The really only way that we could afford it. to do it was we had to get sponsors to do our show, which is six episodes of our show. You know, we had to work out our time, bit bit like yourself, and try and get get sponsors. But we've been fortunate enough to get um, an optics an optics sponsor, which is. Yeah, I mean, it, it really it really yeah. helps. But we, we, there's n almost zero possibility of getting that kind of stuff on TV. On TV, yeah. yeah. Um, I think I think they wouldn't even let you in the door if you suggested it. E even despite the fact the stuff that we're doing isn't uh, sort of hunting in your face, it's much more designed to be to appeal to people who actually don't 
don't hunt themselves. But despite that, I think it, it is quite difficult. And But we have a very different culture to the culture that you guys have over in New Zealand. We're extremely lucky over here, aren't we, being hunters in New mm. Zealand? Yeah. And actually, <laughs> the ethics, the New Zealand hunting ethics are, are way behind the rest of the world. It's, I, it's only the last possibly five years that ethics have even come into the New Zealand hunting scene beforehand. It was if it's brown, it's down. Yeah, okay. Think twice, shooting hinds with fawns or, or anything like that. All animals in New Zealand are considered vermin. They're considered pests. And it's only the last five years that, that hunters have begun to develop this, this ethical sense, I guess, and, and start to, okay, we're not going to shoot hinds with fawns. Uh, we're, we're, if, it's, you know, if it's a stag that, that's not fully developed or fully mature and he shows promise, we're not going to shoot him. We're going to leave him and come and shoot him next year or maybe the year after. Whereas 10 years ago, it was just open season, open slather on any kind of animal. So it's great to see some ethics come so, into the New Zealand hunting community. Where do you think that's come from? Like, what is in, what, what has encouraged that? European hunters coming over here, I think, is the is the main the main source of of, of ethics. I didn't really think about it until I had a European hunting client, a guy, a fellow from Germany, who came over and. Uh, we, we took him on a, on a five-day rod and rifle adventure. So we have whitewater rafts and we have uh, rods and rifles and we load everything into the raft and we go on this five-day adventure fishing and hunting. And the first day, me and another fellow were sighting in my mate's long-range rifle, which is a 338 Edge, which can oh, shoot wow. quite accurately up to eight 900 yards. Big cartridge, And that. so we took to the top of the hill and we were just shooting a few goats to make sure the rifle was sighted. And the German fellow was horrified. We shot five goats, and he came running over, waving his arms around, saying, Stop! What are you doing? Stop! <laughs> we cannot eat so many goats. And me and my mate Smitty said, well, We're not going to eat them. We're just shooting them. He said, What are you doing? Why do you shoot so many? You can't. You must stop this at once. And we're like, Oh, okay. And we didn't. We didn't think twice that that he might be upset that we were shooting these animals and leaving them on the hill. We probably saw five thousand goats in five days, and they're a huge pest over here. Goats everywhere, so hunters are encouraged to shoot them. And, uh, and the German guy was horrified. And so we stopped and we thought about it. We thought, oh, you know, he's kind of right, actually. <laughs> we probably should be uh, managing these animals a bit better. And then uh, further down the river, we ended up shooting a bunch of pigs. And, we, of course, we harvested the pigs to eat. But uh, we were, you know, we just uh, the pigs all started running up the hill. So we started shooting. And he wasn't shooting. And we turned around. We said, uh, Christoph, what's the go, mate? How come you didn't take a shot? He said, I was not happy with the shot. I couldn't make... Sure, I would hit the animal in the heart, so I didn't want to shoot. And we were just opening up, you know, hoping just to hit the animal and drop it on the ground so we could get another bullet into it. And, of course, we got to thinking, here, he's right. You know, a couple of those animals, if we had a shot them in the back leg, they would have run off into the scrub and we would have, wouldn't have recovered them. And that was a real eye-opener for me as to, as to the ethics of hunting and to think about the animal and maybe treat these animals with a bit more respect. And, and as a New Zealand culture, I wasn't brought up to respect animals. I was brought up to shoot them. They're vermin. If the animal's there, you shoot it. You don't worry about hitting it in the heart. If you want to shoot it, you shoot it. And then as I started to hang out with more and more people from England, uh, over there, if, you, if you're not 100% certain, you can kill that animal on the shot. You don't take the shot, which yeah, is fantastic. Right, yeah. And uh, I think that culture is really being developed into New Zealand now. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear you say that. And I have, yeah. I've had little bits of that fed back to me from my cousin there, who obviously grew up here, is in New Zealand now, and obviously it's still, like you already said, it's still a bit behind where you know where we are in terms of how animals are seen. Uh, but yeah, you're you're right what you say. And here, we're pretty much brought up 
you're not pulling that trigger unless you're a hundred or more than a hundred percent certain in yourself that you're going to take that yeah. shot. There's a few exceptions to that. Said that though, what about rats? Do you guys feel the same way about a rat as you do a deer? Well, that is exactly what I was going to say. There's a few exceptions because I say that, and that is that is true of all the big game, but people don't have that same attitude about a rabbit as that was the example no. i was going to give yeah. or i suppose a rat um, rat and uh, foxes in some cases well yeah no foxes, foxes would be the same yep. because their class is just pure vermin here and it does make you think a little bit about it you know a life is a life you should really if you were honest with yourself you should really be treating them exactly the same whether it's a, a stag with 16 points or whether it's a rat but we don't People done that's funny. In New Zealand, they class goats as vermin, but deer are kind of put up on a pedestal because they're quite a majestic creature. Uh, they're, they're very beautiful. They've got beautiful eyes. They're very timid, whereas a goat is just a bloody goat, and it mm. stinks, and it eats everything. <laughs> It'll eat your clothes off the clothesline, for crying out loud. So people have put deer up on this pedestal, but a filthy old goat is still considered vermin. Or, for example, in, over in Europe, a big game animal is, 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 put, is elevated, and it's right up here, whereas a rat or a rabbit are still way down there, but what makes a deer any more special than a rat or a rabbit? It's mm. it's humans are funny creatures, aren't the, we? The, the very funny. It's, it's no, it's an it's an interesting point because it it just shows you actually, depending on what part of the world you're in and depending on the animals that you have, you may see something differently. And a good example of that is you know if you go to Africa, now a, a lion or anything else that eats meat that is eating your family or your livestock, as far as you're concerned, is vermin. And that's why we see the cases, you know, you see them every couple of months now, lions being poisoned or lions being, you know, stabbed with, with spears. And nowhere near as much of a fuss is made of that as, of, as if a, a rich dentist <laughs> goes and, and hunts and pays for it. But the point is that they, are, they see them as causing them a problem, just the same as the goats are causing you a problem or our rats cause us a problem in our chicken house. Yeah. So it's a perception thing. And, and uh, people are very quick to judge and have absolutely no experience of you know that particular environment and those type of animals. Yeah, it is. It is. It is interesting. It does make you think, doesn't it? What was your? I feel like we bring this up in every second podcast. Yeah, but since do. I since I mentioned it, what was your your opinion of the Cecil Lyon story, Josh? Well, I think that I think that he probably bought a lot of money into that local community. <laughs> if he wants to go shoot a lion, it's a business, so be it. He wants to go shoot a lion. Uh, a lot of people don't see it that way. That's the king of the animals and it's a lion and, oh, you shouldn't be shooting these game animals. But, but the thing is, now that hunters are shooting those lions, as you guys probably well know, uh, the lions are now worth a lot of money. Beforehand, they weren't. They were considered vermin. So people were shooting them on site. Now, the local farmers, because they can get thousands and thousands of dollars for these animals they're not shooting them inside anymore they're managing them and so it's actually good for the lions that people are hunting them so i already knew this before cecil the dentist yeah, yeah. shot the lion and the whole world made a big kick and stink about it so personally i'm not terribly concerned about it um i wouldn't shoot a big game cat but then again i'd quite happily go out and shoot a deer or a stag what's the difference between a big game cat or a deer and a stag this I wouldn't shoot a fox. I'd see a fox. I wouldn't shoot it. I think foxes are awesome little creatures. Um, I think they're quite cute. 
<laughs> but over in England, they can. Oh, oh, over, over here, <laughs> foxes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. cute, cute. That doesn't stop you with a possum. <laughs> I mean, the sleepy <laughs> stick comes straight out. <laughs> to be caught them, and there they just go from cute. To <laughs> so, you know, well, that's what a fox goes thing. like if you grab that as well. Yeah, just ask yeah, cute. It's, it's, so it's humans are funny, and people who don't like hunting say, "Well, hey, you shouldn't be hunting these creatures. It's cruel." And yet they'll happily go down and buy meat from the local supermarket. Uh, and yet those animals in the farm have, have had a much worse time off, you know, coming up the f- through the farm and, and being shipped to the works and then being killed in the works and all the rest of it than the deer galloping around in the forest and being shot. So hunting is a really ethical way to harvest the meat, but people don't it, see the whole picture. It, it's hard. I guess the same is said for Cecil the Lion. People don't know the whole story. They don't see the whole picture, so they just jump up in arms and want to judge this poor dentist. We, we, uh, we have a few connections in, in Zimbabwe. Both our parents are from there originally. Um, were you aware that most people in Zimbabwe didn't even know Cecil existed before Cecil was killed? <laughs> I wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, now, you might have a, a, a slightly different view on this, given what you were talking about in, in New Zealand and the sort of attitude towards game. But trophy hunting as a, as a thing to do is specifically trophy hunters and trophy hunting. What's your opinion of that? And the reason I ask the question is it's, it is the one thing that is always brought up in the media uh, and and bashed and seen as the thing that uh sorry do you need to my dogs are just fighting in my lounge oh uh, that's okay you, <laughs> you can sort your dogs out, can your dogs out. Yeah. hey outside out poochie good girl out you go go fight outside good girls all right trophy hunting carry on it's yeah fun. no i was just saying that you know trophy hunting is the thing that we see in the newspapers and it's always brought up as this yeah they terrible like... thing for people to do and anybody who is you know a trophy hunter is you know couldn't be a, couldn't be a more worse human being you know I mean, you, they're, they're, you know they're, they're right up there with terrorists yeah as, well, as, as far as a lot as of people far, according to the the media and also particularly female hunters that are doing trophy hunting are particularly bashed really badly mm. in the media i mean what is what is your view of you know taking a trophy or being a trophy hunter or the the trophy hunting as a as a management practice well, I, uh, I'm guilty of, of trophy hunting, definitely. I, I think once you've been hunting for... I never used to be a trophy hunter. I used to just like hunting. And then I think the more you hunt and the more you get involved in that hunting experience, the more you want to push yourself and go further and go farther and climb higher and naturally shoot bigger follows in those footsteps. And for me, trophy hunting isn't necessarily about shooting something with the biggest antlers or the biggest horns. Uh, it's more about the experience of being out there in the wilderness. For example, I love tar hunting. I'm a really keen tar hunter, um, but it's not trophy tar that drive me. I, I, for me, the trophy in a tar is the big skin that I get to bring and put on my lounge. And my kids, my my sons, wear the skins around like they're playing, <laughs> you know, medieval caveman games. And that's the trophy for me because for a tar, the difference between a, it's probably the same for a roebuck. Actually, it's about half an inch the difference between a substandard animal and oh my god that's a massive head is one inch that's tiny that's not much at all so it seems a little bit silly for me the hunters going out there and and looking for this once in a lifetime bill and smitty's a classic example my mate smitty he's man he's been searching all his life since he's been hunting 20 odd years for a 13 inch bull and he finally just shot last year he shot plenty of 12 inch bulls but not a 13 inch bull and he's just driven to get a 13 inch bull but Personally, I just like being out there. Uh, I, I really like 
searching for the bigger animal because there's a, there's not many mature bulls that get to that stage and they're a lot smarter, they're a lot more cunning than the younger bulls. So that I guess that's one one part of it for me is to outsmart the older animals and it's a lot more challenging trying to shoot, for example, a massive mature red stag that's more than eight years old or a, a big bull tar that's more than eight years old or a chamois buck that's, that's had all this experience with hunters. They're a lot more wily, they're a lot more cunning and to get those animals, you just have to push harder, push further, climb higher, and it's the whole experience of being out there and trying to outsmart these animals that, that does it for me. See, I, I think, in my opinion, you've explained all the reasons actually why you're not a trophy hunter. Because if, if you were purely a trophy hunter, and I think this is what the media take exception to, I mean, you've, you've explained, you know, it's really about the experience and pushing it to the, to the limit. And by taking those older animals, you're obviously taking the right kind of animals out of the chain because those super old animals are probably beyond breeding age. They might have been pushed out of the herd if they're a herd animal. So it makes perfect sense to kill that animal. Trying to explain that to the public and people who don't hunt is quite difficult. And I think that the exception that the, the media take and the public by virtue of that are people who hunt purely because they want to kill something to stick it on their wall. Now, what you've just told me is it has, for you personally, it has a, you know, it doesn't really have much to do with that. There's so much more involved, which I think that doesn't really make somebody a trophy hunter because that, that pretty much echoes what, you know, why we hunt. Why we do it, yeah. Um, I mean, what is your view of somebody who just wants to kill something for the sake of sticking something on the wall? I mean, there must be a bit of that uh -huh. in New Zealand, I suppose. We do. I've got a couple of massive redhead antlers, uh, reds on my wall. I've got, you know, a couple of 14-pointer and a 13, a real big, nice 12-point head. And I have to say, carrying a massive rack of antlers out of the forest over your shoulders after you've been hunting for a week is, is really satisfying, you know. You've, you've shot a big trophy, you've got a massive set of antlers, and you're carrying it back. And I've got them on my wall. I'm out, I hang my hats on them and my jackets on them and whatnot. Mm. Uh, so my view of people who want to just shoot a big animal or a big head, I think that's fine. I think it's a an alpha male. It's as as an alpha male myself. It, it's it's something that that is very instinctive. I think to, to trophy hunt. Uh, and again, you know, I guess it's a matter of perception because I could never go out and shoot a lion and mount a lion on my wall or an elephant or a rhinoceros. I just think that's stupid. Whereas if someone else from Africa or an American might think it's stupid to come over here and shoot a bloody I don't know, a tar or something and put it on the wall there. So I don't have a problem with trophy hunters. I think if they want to do it, that's fine. Uh, there's definitely a business side of it too. Um, I'm a hunting guide. I, I take clients out hunting that want to shoot trophies and I get them onto trophies and they shoot trophies and take it home. And it's, it's great to see them achieve that. Uh, what I don't agree with is hunters shooting trophies in safari parks. And there's a lot of that going on in New Zealand. We have some massive red deer heads over here that are genetically... Uh, bred and they live in these big huge safari parks that have got a fence all the way around it the animals can't get out they're used to seeing humans and it's big business here in New Zealand I don't agree with that but having said that it is a business people are making money off it and there is a demand for it so I don't have a problem with it and if I have clients that want to go shoot a massive 15 16 point red stag and they want to be guaranteed that animal then uh, I'll take them to a safari park be happy with it and guide them onto a deer inside a park. I guess it's the same idea as like the canned hunting in in Africa, where they've got a exactly. a, a perfect yep. perfect line that's, that's been bred in captivity, and then they release it, you know, two weeks before the client comes over, and then they go and hunt it. 
Yeah. That's right. It's a business. It's just like anything else. It's like McDonald's. A lot of people don't agree with McDonald's and or Walmart, for example. Yet they'll still go to McDonald's and get a cheeseburger or they'll still go to Walmart and buy a pair of jandals. Mm. Yeah, I think there's probably a lot of... Certainly, I mean, I, I knew about the, the big farms mainly because when you look at the red deer heads that you see breaking world records every couple of years out in New Zealand, you can see that they're not wild heads. It's just, it's impossible. Yeah. And they try and say that they're wild, and I know that it's just BS. I mean, it's just, you, you can see. And they look just like the, the big park stags that we have, that like we down, have down in Woburn. Yeah. Uh, and it's just completely not natural. And I think probably a lot of the public don't realize that there are these, well, you call them, you know, safari camps. I mean, yeah, I suppose that's essentially what they are. They're, they're, they're I guess they're quite big areas. I mean, how big would these areas be, Josh? Oh, hundreds of hectares, massive. Yeah, so like uh, like the big farms in South Africa, I suppose. Yeah, like yeah, it would be yeah. Yeah, I mean, if if you said to someone in this country safari park, um, you're talking v- very small. That's what pe- people picture. It's the same as when you say, um, for you know, for the, if you went to a safari park in Scotland, where we are, I think the closest one's probably Blair Drummond or something, where yeah. you can see a line. And I would probably say the parks are only a f- few miles few miles wide i've I've never been there i've I've driven past it. it's not very big you know you can drive through it in in 30 minutes the point being is if you say safari park in south africa it could take you an entire day to drive from one end to the other (laughs) the you know the owls aren't quite that big in new zealand we do have some small outfitters that are only a couple of kilometers in diameter and we've got some bigger outfitters too but uh the majority of them have a massive big farm and they'll have a a smaller maybe a, a seven hectare to 15 hectare cage section on that farm with a bit of bush where the animal's roaming. Mm. I mean, and some of them are massive. Some of them have fences all the way around the outside of the park and then they have spotters that go up on the top of the hill and five days before the clients turn up, they go out and find out where these animals are hanging up so the guide can guide the client onto the animals very mm. quickly. Yeah, I think that's, it's quite a, a difficult issue to tackle that. I mean, I'm, I'm always looking at hunting in terms of how we can defend ourselves because i think we're you know we're increasingly in a climate that we have to defend ourselves against a a very concerted move globally to stop hunting and stop hunters and stop doing what we're doing i mean i i have absolutely no interest in going and hunting in a you know a fenced off area like that to go and shoot a world record stag that's been fed his entire life and genetically bred to look like that it doesn't interest me in the slightest but and it becomes quite a difficult part of hunting if it exists which it does in uh it does in new zealand to some extent it does in south africa and i'm sure in other parts of the world in you know texas they've got massive ranches with species from all around the world i mean that exists as part of hunting but how do we how do we defend what we do if you have that within the hunting world because as far as the public's concerned it's all the same thing i mean and you're saying you take clients there how it, but it becomes quite a hard thing to defend if you're asked to you know, defend what you do. I, I think that the easiest way to do that is to split it, split it in half and say, right, there's meat hunting and there's trophy hunting. Uh, so, sure, there's a fair amount of meat hunting involved with the trophy hunting and there's a, a fair amount of meat harvesting. Uh, sorry, there's a fair amount of trophy hunting involved in the meat hunting and there's a fair amount of meat harvesting involved in the trophy hunting. But really, they're kind of two different sides of the scale. And anyone who's opposed to trophy hunting, fair call, uh, but they're not opposed to meat hunting, I think that's great. But people who are just opposed to hunting in general, they're obviously not seeing the full picture because a lot of people don't like hunting, they don't agree with it, and yet they'll go to the supermarket and buy meat. Uh, I was just involved in making a documentary, actually, 
the the document the filmmaker made a documentary about meat eating and the hunting side of it is over here and then the farm side of it over there and his, the aim of the game or his goal was to expose the farmed culture the farmed meat culture and the hunting culture and, and how different they are and why hunting is the ethical choice because this animal's out there having a good old time in nature he doesn't know the hunter's there he does he has no idea he's eating grass and hanging out with his mates and next thing bang he's dead he doesn't doesn't have a clue what happened where on the other hand you've got the farm side of it and it's just horrendous how these farm animals are treated it, it and the is. dairy industry is shocking most of the meat in the burger chains mcdonald's or whatnot come from the industry and and the dairy industry is horrendous the way the animals are treated we, we've said we've said this before a few times you know it doesn't take much research if you really want to find out what happens in slaughterhouses and so on you know these animals they are they're petrified when they, when they go into the slaughterhouses and that they're not having a good time up you know when they're being processed through and so on it's it's not it's you know what it, I, I, I i find it hard to watch i in fact i was watching one it came up on my facebook and it was like, you know, a slaughterhouse exposed. To me, it just looked like a normal horse slaughterhouse. But it's actually quite difficult to watch, considering I hunt as well. And it is quite difficult to watch a slaughterhouse. It's, um, it's very different to hunting. And I, I guess that's, it's quite hard to um, explain to members of the public. You know, these are completely different things. Mm. You know, unless you're actually taking people out. there. I think when you take people out or show people like you do in your YouTube videos and show people how it's done, and so on. I think people understand a bit better when they're actually shown, yeah. opposed to just reading it in the in the paper and I, so on. I think that's what I was maybe trying to get to with the, the questions that I was asking Josh, is that you know we we were taught these safari camps, which are they're they're trophy driven. I mean, there, there's no getting away from the fact that these exist because they're there for people to come and shoot big trophies. But it still doesn't get round the fact that they are, for all intents and purposes, you know, wild. They're they're out in the bush. Yeah, they're being bred, and yeah, they're being kept in a very large enclosed area. But it's still a much better way to live, and that food is still that meat is still going into the food chain. So it's still a much better way of putting meat into the food chain than high intensity farming. And if that, yeah, and and if that trophy hunting then goes on to pay, I don't know, maybe it's not quite the same in New Zealand. But if that trophy hunting in uh, in African countries, for example, which doesn't necessarily have to be, uh, um, more often than not, isn't in enclosed areas, but if that actual um, act of trophy hunting then pays for a lot more things. It pays for anti-poaching patrols. It pays for the management of you know the greater spectrum of game. Then you know you can't really criticize it. But Byron actually did. Um, was it a hippo that they shot? You did. Yeah, a, you, a Bar- Byron actually did a film. Uh, about the whole process in in shooting a hippo out in Africa and it was Caprivi, yeah, what was it? Yeah, and uh, and you know, the, literally from it being shot to the villagers coming, splitting up the meat and and so on. So, uh, I don't know how well that video is done. I actually. think it's done all right, but yeah, it, I mean, it's a whole different process. But I'm sure you get this on some of your videos. Is that you'll always have people saying, "Oh, how can you do that? You know, how can you go and." Uh, shoot a, a poor hippo it wasn't actually me shooting it i was yeah. there with with friends i was helping helping them and they well, were they were the clients the, 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 sorry say that again <laughs> josh you, you broke up the villagers are involved right they come and chop it up and carry it out for you oh yeah so basically on in the, in that uh, in that particular hunt that daryl was talking about that was shot it was a really wet time it was a, a pretty poor time to be in the caprivi because it was so wet and it was shot in the water uh, we then had to get in and tie it up with ropes and then drag it out with a boat. 
um, after it had floated, and then we took it back to the local village, and they basically cut it up, stuck it in their dugouts, and you know took it to the villages. Within moments of us arriving, there was like over a hundred people there. It was just it was madness. But the interesting thing about those areas is that it's a requirement. You know, they they do a, but, a yeah, survey. Law. Yeah, they do a survey every year. They say, okay, we'll give you four hippo permits. <coughs> you clients come in, they pay big money to go and shoot those hippos. You have to hire one of the local guards. You have to hire local um, local staff. You're obviously staying in local accommodation. And then 50% of the meat, in fact, I think the ones that we were hunting were actually 100% of the meat had to go to the, the local communities anyway, um, oh, which is a side a lot of people don't see. Yeah, it is. It is Wait, it? I do get a, a fair amount of, um, of negative comments on my video, but by far and above, the, the, the positive comments outweigh the negative. And a lot of people have, uh, have actually been inspired to, to take up hunting in New Zealand. They've seen my videos and they don't realize that hunting can actually be quite fun and quite rewarding. And you don't have to shoot an animal. You can just go out there and enjoy the wilderness. And yeah. it's nature walking with the gun, I guess. And if you shoot an animal, it's a huge bonus. You get to put meat on your friends and family's table. And it's a great way to, to, to waste money on guns and ammo and <laughs> no, <laughs> get away from the wife for the weekend and take the wife hunting and take the kids. So uh, many people have said that my videos have inspired them to get out there more and enjoy the, this great wilderness in New Zealand that we have um, hunting and fishing. We, we've, well, I've, and I know Byron, we've enjoyed watching all of your videos because they're fascinating because it's so different to what we have here. I love it when you... You know, when you get an animal and then you've got to get a raft, pack it in the raft, and then, you know, you take it across. You know, it's just that, so raw. It's it, kind it, of yeah, it hunting as it should be. It just yeah. doesn't it doesn't happen here, really. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, you don't, you don't get a raft and, and take it down. No, it's, uh, it's a little bit more... I want to say civilized, but I mean, it in, I mean it in the nicest way because, for me, hunting is hunting should be kind of in its rawest form. And we, we do a lot of packing out. We, you know, we walk a lot of animals out on our backs. Some here. people think we're mad, by the so, way. Yeah, but they, a lot of people here think we're mad because it yeah. doesn't really get done here because <laughs> you can normally get some, either a pony or some sort of vehicle, like an Argo or something in, which obviously, you know, looking at your mountains, you, you physically can't do it. Um, but one thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, more for people listening uh, as benefit than anything else, is can you just explain how hunting in New Zealand works? Because here in the UK, for the most part, the land is all privately owned. So you have to, you either know somebody who gives you access to ground or you pay for access of that ground and hunting, you know, a certain number of animals. But you've got loads of public land. We do. We're extremely lucky here in New Zealand. We've got a lot of public land and any mammal in New Zealand is considered a pest. So we can shoot any mammal we want any time of year um, and doesn't doesn't matter what the sex of the animal or the age of the animal is, we're allowed to shoot it. We can shoot as many as we want. Uh, and to get a permit to hunt on public land, we just have to fill it out online. It's approved straight away. And then all we have to do is have a firearms license to carry the firearm. Um, the, the firearms license... Uh, it's fairly strict. You can't have a criminal record of any sort. Uh, the police come around and check your storage for your guns, make sure they're locked away, make sure the ammo is locked away. And, uh, yeah, then you just have to get out there and find out where the animals are. A lot of people have this idea that there's just deer and whatnot running around all over the place in New Zealand. But the reality of it is 10% uh, of the hunters harvest 90% of the game over here. There's a lot of hunters out there that have been hunting for a few years and they've never shot anything hmm. because... The deer, the pressure that the deer get over here is immense, and therefore they're a lot more wary than they are in the northern hemisphere or in England. For example, when when I travel over in in, in Europe or in Canada or in in, uh, in England, 
you see animals out at all, all times of the day, all hours of the day. But in New Zealand, they're very nocturnal. The deer will only come out right on last light. And as soon as it starts to get light, they're back in that forest again. So the hunting is a lot more challenging over here than it is overseas. But having said that, there's just this huge range of, of terrain that we can hunt over here for free. We don't have to pay to hunt on public land. Um, there's some pretty good private land hunting too, and that's getting harder and harder to access now because there's a lot more hunters now than there used to be. But if you go and knock on a few doors, you can usually find private land to hunt on as well if there's not a lot of public land in your area. Mm, that's interesting. I mean, do you think that uh, it's never nice to, or it, I never like um, saying that there should be more regulation because I think, well, certainly, you know, where we live and in the in most parts of the Western world, everything's just so over controlled. But from what you're saying there, is there maybe room for some sort of control to encourage people to maybe hunt right so that you're not having all this pressure and you actually have seasons? Or is it the case that the species across the board are so much of a pest? Because uh, I know historically in New Zealand, you know they were a big problem. The, the deer numbers. Is it still that case, and is that why they basically have open season and anybody can hunt? All I the don't. Way? I don't think so. Um, I, I I don't consider them a huge pest. In fact, they've just uh, new research has come to light that the moa, which are extinct now, but they were a bird that was uh, the size of an ostrich, even larger than an ostrich. The moa used to be fairly right, widespread around New Zealand uh, back in the day before humans got here, and they ate a lot of vegetation. So I think the New Zealand forest can handle a lot of browsing. The government or the Department of Conservation has this view that all mammals are pests um, because they're not indigenous to New Zealand. They shouldn't be here, but neither are humans. We shouldn't be here either, and they're not culling us out. So they've got this mad idea that they're going to get rid of all of the mammals, and to do this, they're dropping 1080 poison from helicopters, and they're just aerial blanketing the whole country with this poison. Now, I was, uh, I, I was going to ask you about that poison because yeah, right. when I was in New Zealand, I saw the signs up everywhere saying 1080, warning 1080. So, and then I've seen you post a few things about the 1080. I understand it is a poison, um, but from the, the small amount I read, it's literally it's not controlled. So when they dump it, it goes into the water and so on. Does it kill fish? Does Could it... you give us a rundown yeah. of it? Because well, we really, for us, it seems just utter madness like to the, drop random poison yeah, into the bush. Like you'd, you, would, you wouldn't do it here. I don't no, think couldn't. you, you couldn't no, do it's, it. It's crazy. It really is. And 99% of New Zealanders are against it. Uh, there's, there's a huge, every time they do a poison drop, there's a huge public outcry and it kills everything. It's a really toxic poison. So if an animal dies, it can stay in that animal's bone marrow for up to seven years. Um, when the animal dies and rots on the ground, any insects that come and eat the rotting carcass die. If that en animal ends up in the, in the creek, in the river, any invertebrates that live in the water that come and eat that carcass, they all die. It's, it's really toxic. It kills birds. Um, it kills all of the deer. It kills a, a lot of possums. And um, one thing it doesn't kill effectively is rats, stoats, and cats. Um, rats are too smart. They eat a small amount of the poison, and uh, they don't eat any more because they get sick. And the rat population is just going through the roof here in New Zealand. And the main reason they're using this 1080 poison is to protect the native bird population and to kill the rats but it's not working on the rats fair call there's worse poisons out there there's bordophoricum which uh, is an accumulating poison the advantage of 1080 is it doesn't accumulate in the car the animal eats it and it either dies or it doesn't die uh, but it's crazy they, they, they aim to wipe out all of the big game animals all of the deer all of the tar all of the chamois there's no management it's, re it's dropped really indiscriminately just blanket drop from the helicopter and if anything eats it it dies and I think we need to start managing these big game animals over here they 
are a resource. A yep. lot of New Zealanders uh, rely on these animals for food, and yet the government doesn't care. They just want to wipe them all out. So it's crazy. There should be some kind of big game animal management over here. As of yet, there's no system like that in place. That's interesting. That's no. It's, that's. I mean, I don't. Know, I didn't the, realize. The rest of the world doesn't. I mean, I, yeah. I don't think I've ever read anything in our press here about that. And no. I, for me, I mean, that's just a, a travesty that that should go on. I didn't. And I know of it through you. I, I didn't realize it was so indiscriminate. As in, they just dropped it anywhere and it killed everything. <laughs> that's crazy. It really well, is. Why do you think it hasn't made the wide wider press? I mean, surely people should be more up in arms about that than the killing of one lion. Surely. I do no. I I. I just recently been getting hold of uh, Peter, the protection oh, yeah. blah blah yeah. blah, Peter, the worldwide organisation of animals. They're not interested. The New Zealand SPCA is not interested because these aren't domestic animals. They're wild animals. So therefore uh, they shouldn't be treated the same. And 1080 poison causes a horrific death. It's a, the animals take several days to die. They literally bleed, slowly bleed out from the inside. Uh, they found deer that have been dead that have chewed holes in their stomachs trying to get rid of this pain oh, inside their horrible. stomachs. They've actually chewed a hole in their own stomach. Um, they thrash around the big circles where they die. They bleed out from the eyes. It's a terrible death. And yet the wider public doesn't seem to care. I don't know why it hasn't made world media. I don't know why some famous celebrity has not jumped on the case. And, and I, I've, it's mind-boggling. I do not know how this hasn't made international press. And yet one guy shoots a line over in Africa and holy shit the whole world goes nuts meanwhile every day in New Zealand millions of animals are dying painful deaths and the wider inflicted by the government <laughs> by the government it's crazy and you get some guy some kid up in North Island puts a firecracker in a puppy's ear and lights it and the firecracker goes bang holy shit he goes to jail you know that kid or that teenager gets charged and gets taken to court and yet meanwhile the, the New Zealand government are poisoning all these animals and horrifying, excruciating, painful deaths, and no one's being held accountable. Since uh, since uh, Ricky Gervais seems to love bashing hunters so much and loves animals, maybe he needs to get on the case. Someone said you should contact Ricky Gervais. They made a comment on my Facebook Did they? page. Maybe to get a hold of Ricky Gervais. And uh, well, <laughs> he, he, he might tear you a new one first for being a hunter, but on the other hand, he he has a massive reach. Like a massive reach, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he has. Well, I think I, I, maybe you... we could. Me and Ricky Gervais could do a video, and we could. Tear <laughs> it yeah, I would. I tell you what, I would pay to see that. Yeah, I could take him hunting for five days. I wonder if he'd bite the bullet. I bet. Well, do you know what we? We we, 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 we called him. him. We, yeah, we, we called we, him out on the podcast a few of, times. Uh, yeah, because said, because of things he said about hunters. He uh, said, "Yeah, we'll happily take you hunting." Because he he was he was talking about uh, the hunter who shot the big elephant bull yep. uh, a few months ago. Now. And then he got trampled. No, no, that no, was that a totally different, different story. Yeah. Uh, but he was saying that he would oh, pay yeah. thirty or forty thousand pounds to punch this guy in the face. And we said, "Well, I tell you what, you can pay us that money. You can come and punch us in the face because we're hunters too, and, and then we'll, we'll give, give that money to conservation poaching charities." And you're welcome to come and hunt with us if you'd like. So we we did call him out, but maybe you need to a concerted campaign on your YouTube channel <sighs> to get Ricky Gervais to come out and hunt with you. That's not a bad idea. I I wouldn't mind getting paid forty grand to get punched in the face by Ricky Gervais. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you know what? That's we that's another that's person. Four, we've got. That's four people now. Four people are willing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, How'd that be? That'd actually make a good episode. I, I want to do a series called Take a. Take a city guy hunting, or we actually take a jaffa hunting. Now, we, a jaffa is our term for a, 
a guy from Auckland. Okay. <laughs> and they wear the, the tight pants, their sister's pants. Yeah. You know, they get their sister's clothes and they've got the tight pants and they've got the slick haircut. And it's all the rage now. People are growing these big beards and they've got these very... And, it, and, and it's shaved sides as well. Like really... Shaved sides, yeah. yeah and, they, and some of them put eyeliner and whatnot on and, and they're very camp and they like their cappuccinos in the morning. Did and, you... Did... You know, they, they drive around their little BMW. So I want to do a series where I invite one of these fellas to come hunting with me five days and not only guys guys and girls in the big city throw them out in the bush get them to shoot the animal gut the animal carry them out light the fire cook the dinner um make the camp set up the fly camp and, and just deal with nature for five days i think it would be a fantastic you, i think you might make you might make some of them cry <laughs> well do you that i mean josh that's that's the new world's real man you realize that i mean you you and i and my brother we're we're unusual in this new world <laughs> I understand that, and then I think there's also a series to be made where the bushman goes to the city. So uh, there is a, a plan in the future for that. Ba- ba- Byron, Byron was in the bunkin. Byron used to be in the city. Yeah, he used to work for a bank, and he he got out of there as quickly as he could. <laughs> Two years after graduating university, that was about as much as I could take, and then I just uh, yeah, I literally looked around me one day and thought, jeez. One day, if I'm really lucky, I could have some of these guys' jobs. You know, the guys who are really high up in the company. I thought, I just don't want your life. I literally typed my resignation uh, letter on my computer at my desk, printed it out in the printer behind me and put it on my manager's desk. And two weeks later, I disappeared to Africa for three months. <laughs> and then eventually Going came home. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, went, I went a different yeah, route. I, I, I left school and I, I, uh, I joined the Navy. So I sailed around the world for five years instead. <laughs> A, a lot of people ask me. They say, "How come you've got this fantastic lifestyle? How can we do what you what you do? How can, how can we get to there?" And I just say, "Just do it." I mean, I'm not yeah. making much money doing it at the moment, but I'm having a great old time. And I yeah. think a lot of people get caught up in that whole money trap, and they get a mortgage, and they think they need a good job to make the money, to get the good car, to get the the nice house, and all the rest of it. Man, I'm in so much debt. I'm in half a million dollars worth of debt. Fair call. I've got a house. I'm mortgaged up to my eyeballs, but I don't worry about it. It's just a figure. Hell, if I go bankrupt, I can just start from zero. And that's what I tell people. If you want to do something with your lives, just do it. Yeah, and and it sounds it like that's exactly what you did. You were working in the bank, and you're like, hell, I'm making good money here. I could be like that guy and have a wicked car, a BMW, and a nice house, and a, an awesome wife, and all the rest of it. But in the end, it's not worth it, is it? Life's too short to be stuck doing something you don't want to do. Absolutely. No, it, it, it really is. And it, it, it is a cycle because you, you do all that work to make money to do the things you enjoy doing. And then you don't have time to do the things you enjoy doing because you're working to make money to do those things. So why not oh, just do the things you enjoy doing in the first yeah, place? No. And that's pretty much what we do now. It, it's that's I mean, luckily, me and Byron are now in the position, and I I I do this full time. We I make we make uh, hunting videos, and we make films for other people, and and we do this podcast, this yeah. this podcast as well. And you know, like I said, I was in the navy. I loved it. I left and then I was a commercial diver uh, because that's what I did in the Navy. I was a diver and it got to the point. I came back to this country because I was working out in Australia for a year and I came back here and there was no jobs and I was just doing jobs. that I was hating chasing jobs, chasing jobs. And it was this dream of, you know, oh, you know, people always just say, oh, diving is amazing money. Thousand pounds a day, two thousand pounds a day. Yeah, well, that's all well and good, but I don't have any time to do anything. You know, you're chasing jobs that you don't actually really want to be doing. So now I'm happy. <laughs> so poor happy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the way well, what, do you, what do you need? <laughs> 
now um i'm just trying to think i was going we've we've covered a lot of stuff because i haven't even really been going through my list here um okay uh yeah back to backtrack just a little bit in terms of uh the hunting that you guys do because we did touch on it saying it's, it's very different to what we do in terms of you know extractions we've seen you take out stuff over your back wearing wetsuits through rivers just for people at home who maybe don't have a, a concept of New Zealand terrain and what it takes to get meat out. Just can you explain it for those guys who haven't seen your films? Ah, uh, it's definitely uh, can be pretty easy hunting. It can be pretty hard hunting here. Because of the, the amount of hunters that are out there now, there's not many places where you can just walk 10 minutes up a creek, shoot an animal and be back at your vehicle. You kind of have to push a lot further in now to be able to shoot the animal and harvest the meat. So there is a, a fair amount of hard work involved. Um, even helicoptering, you know, taking a helicopter into the mountains, the helicopter can only land in certain spots. So it's not like we can shoot the animal and the helicopter can just come and pick it up and fly it out for us. We still have to get the animal back to where the helicopter can land. And there's only certain areas uh, where the helicopter can land because there's wilderness zones all over yeah. the place. So and helicopters can't land in wilderness zones here. So. That's why the raft hunting is such a great way to gather meat. That's why I utilise my raft and my canoe to, to hunt and uh, and to harvest meat like that because I don't have to carry it too far. When I was younger, I used to take the whole animal out and harvest the whole thing, but nowadays I, I'm, I don't really want to punish my knees too much. So quite often we'll just take the back legs of the animal and the back stakes and leave the front shoulders and whatnot there because we're walking for 10, 15, 20 kilometres into the forest to shoot these things mm. and uh, we don't want to break our body to get the whole animal out. Mm -hmm. So it's there, there is a certain amount of hard work involved, and a lot of the young fellas will still, you know, take the whole animal out, and they're quite staunch about it. Some some you know, these young bucks will carry a whole bloody stag out, which is crazy because these things weigh you know 80, 90 kg yeah. and gutted. Sometimes even more, 130, but, 140 kg. But Byron had one on his back a few weeks ago, and it was the same size as him. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was in so much pain; it was unbelievable. Yeah, and that wasn't 20 kilometers out. That was about five miles or something. But I, yeah, I was a bit of a cripple by the time I finished that. Yeah, so my personal view is it's not worth punishing my body and my knees to get the whole animal out. I mean, you know, sometimes I'll do two or three trips to get the whole thing out. Okay. Yeah. But uh, it's we, we don't have moose in New Zealand, thank God for that. And <laughs> over in, in North America, when you shoot the animal, you have to harvest the whole thing. So it's yeah. not about seeing the animal and shooting. It's about seeing it and then thinking, well, is he in a position where we can go and get him and can we get him out of where he is? So yeah. we don't really think about that in New Zealand. We just shoot it and then hap it's off and carry it out. So there is a certain amount of hard work involved. Um, behind the scenes hard work you don't see on the videos. But uh, I tend to hunt a lot more, hunt smarter now. Yeah, hunt, hunt smart and not hard. One of your uh, videos that I saw fairly recently was uh, was it a friend's stag do. I absolutely loved that one. That was a good. Yeah. I watched that too. Yeah, really good. Uh, when you went out with your your mates and a bit, what, you were was fishing, it? And fishing and a bit of yeah. shooting. And one of the best stag do's oh. I think I've ever seen. <laughs> oh yeah, they're fantastic. We do it commercially through the Whitewater Rafting Company. So we, we, it's, uh, that's how I make my money by taking these stag parties out in the springtime. Really, and it's just a bunch of Kiwi guys with rods and rifles and. We go out there and uh, we fly into camp late afternoon so they don't have the chance to get drunk before they go hunting. And if they do, we don't let them go hunting okay. pretty much. Yeah. I think there was one of them where the guy said, Yeah, can stop me. <laughs> he actually forgot the bolt to his rifle. So Enjoy yourself. <laughs> well, I've got a stag do coming up, Byron. So, New Zealand. Yeah, no, I don't think, uh, do my best man duties really extend all the way to New Zealand? Including the payment. 
Oh, okay, right, okay. We'll have to speak <laughs> yes, to Josh. Yeah, no, it's, it's actually a great, it's a great way to, to go on a stag do, and, and they've become quite popular because people realise that, hey, okay, we could go to a bar or a nightclub or whatnot and have it there, or we could go out into the bush. And the advantage of being out in the bush is there's no skullduggery, there's no strippers. You get to hang out with your mates, whereas if you go to a bar or nightclubs or whatnot, you spend half the time sifting all over the pub and talking to other people it's and true. not actually hanging out. Yeah, so, and I bet you spend the same amount of money on alcohol anyway. Probably more. <laughs> Probably more. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they get up to get, and, and it's crazy because you get these blokes out in the middle of the wilderness, and they'll do all this crazy shit that they don't normally do. I'm not sure if you guys are. Uh, have seen any of my Patreon videos, which is Patreon's a platform where yes. I say of certain videos that the general public don't get to see. I, I, I've, I've, I've seen your of... I've seen your trailers because that that platform you pay for, isn't it? That is a, yeah. it's fairly new because I saw um I can't, I can't remember what it was. I saw one you literally put one up two days ago, and you're a way to um kill a goat with your bow. Um, and then there was another one you put up for the channel. I think you were in a canoe as well. Uh, but I've not seen anything. Canoe, yes. yeah. I've got this uh, another platform called Patreon where people can pay five bucks a month to see uh, longer videos. So I put two 20-minute videos up a month as well as a bunch of behind-the-scenes stuff. And some of these stag parties just get out of control and these guys do this crazy shit up there. And I can't put it on YouTube because it's so full-on. This one <laughs> example was past the plate. There's a game where – and it's always the university students. If they've been to university, they just pick up these horrendous – <laughs> drinking games in university and this particular one was called pass the plate and it involves a bunch of guys and they all strip butt naked so anyway i went up to get a beer and i came back to the bar and there's about 15 guys standing around naked and i look at my mate and like, one of the other raft guys like, what the hell's going on here he's like oh i'm looking fine so we sat back and watched the game was you pick up a plate with your teeth and you put it in the ass crack of the guy standing <laughs> next to you then and then the guy, you got the plate in your ass crack and you turn around and the other guy comes up and grabs it in his ass crack. So you're not actually allowed to use your hands. And if you drop the plate, you have to pick it up with your teeth. <laughs> and the, the, just these guys playing these crazy games. There was that, there was the hairy waterfall, which I'm not even going to go into. I, I, so I know what it is. <laughs> You don't need to say anymore. <laughs> yes, yeah, so stag parties. It's crazy. You get these blokes out in the middle of nowhere, light a big, huge fire, and, and uh, they just lose. They go, they go back to a caveman. They just go primitive. Primitive again. <laughs> they go primitive and they yeah. just cut loose. It's crazy. <laughs> I, 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 should we introduce the plate game here? I've never heard of this before. Uh, uh, no, I'm not sure about that. Actually. I don't no, know. If I, I, I don't want to play no, it. Actually. No, no, no. <laughs> It could oh, get it could get a bit bit weird because over involved too. It doesn't have to be just blokes, and it's hilarious, especially after it's been around fifteen or sixteen people, and someone drops it, and the person has to pick it up <laughs> on the floor with their mouth, hooting and yelling and carrying on, and yeah, it's great. It's a good game. That, that's that's brilliant. I'm gonna have to check out this um, this platform you've got. So on this platform, you can put up anything like explicit stuff, but basically that I can put up whatever I want. Yeah, and I think that's that's the advantage of of having. Uh, my videos up on YouTube is I can keep them rough and raw, but having this other platform on Patreon, I can put up whatever I want, and I just warn people in advance, you know, this is an R18 video or parental guidance recommended, so people aren't watching it and getting a hell of a shock, so they know that there's, uh, you know, this is an R18 video, there might be F-bombs, yeah, yeah. there might be a little, a little bit of, of other stuff that, um, that the general public aren't going to appreciate. So, so I keep my YouTube channels fairly... PC, family-friendly, family-orientated, so people can watch it with their kids. But then this other platform I've got, which is Patreon, and that'll be moved to my new website, the Kiwi Bushman. Um, there'll be a section on there where anything goes, pretty much. So how do people, for, for those people listening, uh, what how do, how do they access P Patreon? Do they just put Patreon in Google? Will they find it? 
Uh, they jump onto onto my Facebook page or the, the, if they watch my YouTube channel, there's a bunch of videos promoting Patreon and okay. the links will be on there. So the, it's all on the YouTube channel. We'll, we'll put up the, the links on our Facebook yeah. pages and that for all your stuff anyway. Oh, um, fantastic. So, Cheers, guys. So people can uh, find yeah, it. But in uh, the description for this podcast, for those people listening, they, they'll be able to find the links to, to find you if they don't already know who you are. Which I think I think, I, I think a huge number of the people listening probably know who you are anyway. So Yeah, but, and I think so. I mean, there's a, there's a, you're, you're, you're well-liked well in the UK, I can assure you of that. People love the... I don't know. I think they, they just love the, the sort of rough, ready Kiwi man. Yeah, I, just, think, I think that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and the beard. Fantastic! It's good to hear. I'm not going to get mobbed in a in a bad way when I go over no, there. Unless no, no, the no. Well. no. I, I think I think it's the it's the kind of attitude as well to to like. It's so just so laid back. Yeah, it is. Know? I mean, what the best example? I I was watching one a few weeks back, and you were eating. Um, it was like a ration pack. I can't remember the name of it. You're, oh, spo- you're sponsored, sponsored, sponsored by them, and you were just sitting there going yeah, yeah, these uh, these taste pretty good, and also I'm sponsored by them as well, so that helps. So you know, it's just like this laid back kind of attitude, which I think it goes a long way on on videos, opposed to like in your face kind of like this is my sponsor, you must like it as well. <laughs> now, obviously, at the start, we could hear your kids running around, and we've seen I've seen uh, the odd video in the past. You know, your your family and your kids, uh, as much as seems possible, are very much involved in what you do. Uh, I mean, it was awesome to have them run around, have a wee chat before we started recording. A lot of kids are not involved in stuff like that these days. Well, some of them don't even have a chance to be exposed to it. I mean, how do you manage to... The, I mean, you must, you're, you're so busy. How do you manage to fit that balance and get your kids involved? And how, how can we, if you can answer this, get more kids involved? Obviously, they're the future of what we do. Um, I think just dads spending time with their kids and making the time to spend with their kids. I mean, it's, it's, it is hard for me. It's, I'm so busy hunting and fishing. I've really got to make time to do missions with my kids. Uh, and we set aside days. I put a date in the calendar. And I say, right, kids, we're doing this mission on this day. And if it, the weather turns against us, we just do something else. But I, I set aside dates and times for my kids. So I spend time with them and I'll make sure that we go out and and we do stuff away from the city so we'll go out camping or we'll go fishing um i think the main the majority of of it is dad time just dad spending time with your kids and taking their kids camping mm. and and camping's mm. fantastic you don't have to go i mean the majority of hunting i do with my kids is just camping anyway because they're more interested in karate kicking trees over <laughs> and you know doing commando rolls through yeah. the forest as we're trying to sneak in on the deer so as we, we all did when we were yeah i think i think that's how, kind of how we start as well yeah, yeah camping, our, camping camping so that's we, how we, we did a lot of hunting when we were i did a lot of hunting when i was very very young but, but I, mean, I mean that's it basically was, how it, yeah, starts, it was it was camping and then you know dad used to take us out with the the two too and then obviously when Byron and I were given air rifles when we got a bit older and you know we could go and shoot our own rabbits and, and so on it's quite good so yeah I think that's the way to do it is to take your kids camping and then you can teach them respect for the animal at a very early age I mean we shot a, I shot a couple of deer with my kids the first couple of deer we shot and uh, we unloaded the gun and went up to the deer and my my oldest boy who was six at the time started jumping up and down on the deer's head and I had to say, hey, Jack, come on, buddy. We need to respect this animal because it's it's going to feed us. We just took its life. So I think it is important to teach them that respect for the animal at a young age, to teach them that we did just take a life so we could eat. And it's 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 quite... It's quite an important part in a young person's life, I think, to see where the food comes from. Yeah. 
and and just to, to experience a whole lot outdoors from a very early age. And in this day and age, with with busy work schedules and whatnot, and especially that you know in English the lifestyle over there where you work all week and you go out Friday night and get rat bagged and Sunday's hungover and if you've got kids Saturday's hungover and then Sunday there might be a rugby game or a football game on it is extremely hard to spend time with your kids but it's so important and you can even just go camping in the backyard which I do with my kids I'll set up a tent on the lawn I've seen we'll the video yeah, yeah. On the lawn and we'll you know we'll roast marshmallows or sausages on the on on the lawn and, and with the beach is only 10 minutes down the road but it's sometimes it's just easier to do it in your backyard because if they miss mum at nine o'clock at night, you can just pop into the house and it's not a strenuous activity for them. Yeah. Mm. And then as they get older, you can start to roam further afield. And I've, I've actually started a newsletter called the Department of Awesome where, and there's a little section in there where I'm encouraging fathers to spend more time with their kids and to go out there and just go camping or, or go fishing with them. Or, or uh, how, how do you get hold of this newsletter? I mean, is it a newsletter that anyone can... Access. Uh, anyone can sign up to. Yep, and it comes out uh, every couple of months. And it, it's got a the, the Department of Awesome. It's called. It's mainly focusing on making people's situations in life a lot better by uh, being positive, focusing on positive things, focusing on positive things, hanging out with positive people. I'm telling yourself that life is awesome. That you enjoy your job. That you enjoy your life. You love your wife. You love your kids. And if you, even if you hate it. Uh, if you tell yourself you love it, eventually you're gonna your subconscious is gonna listen to your conscious mind, or your conscious is gonna listen to your subconscious, and you'll find yourself in a better situation. And then there's a bunch of resources for Kiwis out there, and then there's, there's specials for gear, and then there's a gardening section for the wives and whatnot. Oh, that's pretty cool. I will have to uh, check that out. So, so do you, is that on your website? Is it? Can you? Act- uh, that's on the website. Yeah, I'm just rebuilding my website at the moment. But if you jump onto my website, thekiwibushman.co.nz, there'll be a little link to the newsletter. There's also a link on my Facebook page there as well. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. I, I like that idea. Now, I wanted to ask you, you do a lot of spearfishing. I spearfish as well. When I was out in Australia, that's when I properly went spearfishing because as much as I like spearfishing here, I tend to find nothing, ever. Uh, <laughs> there's no fish. Uh, I mean, when I'm diving, when I'm diving, like when, you know, when I've got tanks on and that, um, I'll grab lobsters and, and stuff like that because I've got a bit more time to spend down there. But spearfishing here is a bit hopeless. When you go you know, south of England, they, they get uh, sea bass and all sorts of things. But how did you get into spearfishing? Well, I've always been snorkeling and getting crayfish and power from a young age. And I never really got into spearfishing because I couldn't afford to get a spear gun. Um, I've, I've always speared eels and speared yeah. flounders and whatnot. And then it was only a couple of years ago, um, a friend of mine said, I'll move to the West Coast and the visibility right where I live isn't very good, but I didn't realize that three hours south is really good spear fishing. And then a friend of mine invited me to go snorkeling with him one day, so I did. And uh, he gave me a go of the spear gun and boom, as soon as I shot my first fish, I realized that that was my new favorite thing to do. <laughs> and it, pretty much it's all I want to do now is go spear fishing. So when the visibility and the ocean conditions aren't very good, I'm hunting or working. And then as soon as the ocean conditions come right, it's drop tools and get in the water. It's very addictive, I have uh, to say. I, I, lo- I love spearfishing. The only, the only fish I've actually ever killed in Scotland underwater was a flounder, and that was with my knife. I didn't even have the spear gun. It was on the, on the ground, and I knifed it. And I was like... And well, after I knifed it, you know, it was just one of these reactions. I just saw it because um, this is when I was in the Navy. And I had a rebreather on, so I was completely silent down there. And I knifed this flounder, and straight after I did it, I felt really bad. I just was like, I, th- this thing didn't even know I was there. And I knifed it, and <laughs> I brought it back up. The guys thought I was nuts on the dive boat, because I bring up this fish, and they're like, what are you going to do with it? Well, I'm, I'm going to eat it. And I barbecued it the next day. 
absolutely brilliant. I loved it. A bit of lemon on it, a bit of pepper. It was brilliant. <laughs> oh, no, but, I mean, spearfishing... I, I love spearfishing. It's just a shame that our... our I think there are places to do it, but just there not is. where we are on the East Coast. It's it's just, not, the West Coast is a lot better. And it's cold. I mean, I know New Zealand is... Some places are warmer and some places are colder, but here it gets very cold. <laughs> it's pretty cold where we are over winter. We have to wear gloves and the whole hood and everything. Yeah, yeah. So your face gets cold, but in the summertime, it's, we still wear a hood and full wetsuit and gloves, but it's not so bad. And I think that one of the one of the uh, the appeals of spearfishing for me is that as soon as you jump in that water, you're not top of the food chain anymore. No, no, absolutely not. You're being hunted while you're hunting, and, and that's really exciting. Uh, <laughs> there's, 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 I mean, there's great white sharks here. There's lots of sharks. Yeah. We have lots of shark attacks in New Zealand, and it's it's a very exciting way to hunt because you're not top of the food chain. All of a sudden, there's something out there that may be hunting you, and you, you, you've really got to master that fear. Uh, and just get out there and do uh, it. I was fortunate enough. I was working on a dive boat on uh, the west coast of Australia, the, the Brolis Islands. I was out there for a month, and every night, uh, I, basically I was in charge of the food, and every night I would go out and spear a few fish because there was only five, six of us, and I would spear. But I would spear the fish and just knew where we are. We were on uh, like a continental shelf, and this dropped down like a mile down, and you, you knew there was big fish on that shelf because they were eating all the food. As soon as I speared something, I was up as fast as I could to get that fish out of the water because <laughs> I knew there would be something w- wanting what I had. <laughs> yeah. It's exciting, isn't it? <laughs> it is, it is. I mean, I've always been water. I mean, me and Byron, we swam for years and years, and I made diving a career, so... For me, I'm the happiest underwater. That's where I, I if you know, if I had gills, I just I wouldn't actually come back up if if it was a choice of mine. <laughs> is there is, is there a lot of accidents with spear fishing? Uh, it's not something I've I, I do a lot of free diving, but I, I I haven't really done any spear fishing because of what Daryl was saying. It's not that great here compared to other countries. But I see every now and then on the internet, you know, a major accident. With, uh, it's, it seems to be people spearing big fish and then getting jammed up. Does that happen a lot in New Zealand or? I don't think so, no. Uh, there's, there's not much of an incident register, actually, for, for hunting and fishing incidents, which I'm going to... My new website's going to have an anonymous incident register so people can report these incidents. Um, in this age of social media, I think a lot more incidents and accidents are being reported, but then if, if shit hits a fan and, and you have an incident out hunting or fishing, you're not going to go tell your mates about it, are you? No. Because it makes you look like a bit of an amateur. But, and so people aren't really learning. So I think that these accidents or incidents are happening in New Zealand, but they're not really being reported. But we definitely don't hear of, of many accidents happening, of people spearing a kingfish and getting wrapped up, and occasionally someone will get tangled up in kelp mm-hmm. or in weed and they'll drown. Uh, so I think these incidents are happening, but people are, just aren't hearing about it. Hmm. Interesting. I, w- I want to just touch on something because obviously... You've got quite a big social media presence, and we've talked about this on previous podcasts. And it's it's kind of about the responsibilities of hunters putting putting stuff on social media yeah, that content, pro- yeah, content that you, you know really shouldn't be put up. I mean, it it can. Like for example, fox hunting. It's a massive thing in this country. Just to clarify yeah. that, we're talking about. When you say fox hunting in yeah. the UK, people Sorry. often think on horseback. Not, not horseback. I'm talking about rifles. R- yeah, sh- uh, shooting. Shooting, horses. not not on horseback. Um, you know, you see on a daily basis people putting up their animals they've shot, and you know it's got two eyeballs detached hanging out. Its tongue is blown to pieces. Its mouth is hanging off. It's got one leg blown up, and that's all well and good. 
putting up, you know, the animals probably died very quickly. Um, in the most part, you don't know the full story, but should you really be putting that online? You know, is that the kind of thing? Because it doesn't help anyone putting it online, as in, you know, if and if it so shows it a bit of disrespect as well for the, because what are you doing? Are you, you're glorifying, you know, you're glorifying what's on the on the picture, uh, and in the in the age that we have, where people are very very quick and the media are very very quick and the public are very very quick to jump on and you know really give hunters a hard time it just feels like ammunition yeah well i mean i just wanted to you know hear what you thought yeah, about you guys suggesting i pretty much just take all my videos off the uh no 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 <laughs> i mean not the, yeah there's, there's quite a bit of that in my videos they're rough as guts you know and the, the, the no. old googly eyes oh there's not so much googly eyes but no, no I, it's, I not, it's not really I hear what you're saying it's more I I think people yeah. are very sensitive. Yeah, Pe people are very sensitive, and we need to be sensitive as hunters to other people's to non-hunters' sensitivities. And we yeah. don't really want to upset people. I mean, it's like boobs, right? Or, or balls. Everyone's seen boobs and balls. I know what balls and boobs are, but you can't go to a pub and get your tits out or start getting your willy out and waving it around. Depends what kind of pub you go to, I guess. They can't <laughs> deal with it. And it's, I guess it's, it's the same on social media. People are sensitive. They don't want to see a headshot animal and the eyes poking yeah, out. Yeah. Or they don't want to see an animal legging it across a paddock with its guts dragging behind them because you've made a gut shot and got it on video yeah. by accident. I mean, my videos are pretty rough and raw. I do have a lot of the incidents and, and accidents that, that happen in hunting that we don't want to show the rest of the people. For example, I might not shoot it in the chest. I might shoot it in the ass by mistake. And I generally leave most of that stuff in there as long as it's not too rough and ready but then again people who watch my videos they kind of know to expect this kind of thing and I, on my facebook page i don't post that kind of carry on so i won't post a headshot deer with its eyes popping out of its head so yeah i think you're right i think people do hunters in particular do need to be careful about what they post on social media because there is this this whole army of non-hunters out there that want to ban hunting worldwide and completely ban the sport i understand you're not allowed to bow hunt in, in no, the uk no, not at all no, 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 all no. over there and i don't know if that's a poaching thing or if it's the animals to be honest I, I don't know it's been it's been yeah. banned as long as i've been alive yeah. and i don't know anybody who's ever bow hunted in this country it's just it's just not something that uh, is really part and of i don't do. i don't think it will ever ever no, I, don't, I don't think it'll ever no. come but, which is strange because robin hood went when the people poaching the king's deer, and I imagine it's a lot easier to poach a deer with a bow than it is with the rifle because it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. You know what? You can probably trace part of it back to as old as that with with poaching and stuff. I imagine that we need to look into this. Why? When it changed? When it was actually banned? But because it is strange, because you literally you just need to go over the ocean. You know, it's an hour flight, and you can bow hunt in most of Europe. Yeah. So it's not exactly, you know, an alien thing around this part of the world. It's just mm. a, it just does, doesn't get done here at all. No. But I think, uh, so just to f finish up what we were saying about social media, I think that when you're showing the, the full spectrum, like in, your, in the videos, and people get to know you and understand you, and they yeah. can see, you know, they, they can see your sort of at oneness with the bush and what the full story is, that's kind of different to when you just put up a single picture. Yeah, and that was more my point. Yeah, is, and is, is, is I mean, like we, uh, just a picture, not really much explanation. But people taking it. a lot of joy out of it—that's that's what I think is an issue. And it doesn't happen all that often, but it's it's fairly regular. It's becoming less. I think people are becoming wiser to it now. Yeah. But you know, over the last two years, certainly we've seen it on our uh, sort of UK social media forums where 
people are, you know are putting up pictures like that but they're taking a lot of glee and joy out of the the gore if you like which yeah it, it's just a bit disrespectful and also provides a huge amount of ammunition to uh yeah just like you were saying to the anti-hunting lobbies yeah so josh what does the future hold for you as far as you know in the sort of next 12 months? We know that uh, maybe, possibly, hopefully, fingers crossed for you, you get season two uh, with the, the Discovery Channel. But out with what you're doing right now, what can we expect to see from just, you? Just, Anything different? Just oh. one question before you go oh. that. I know you said on the season two that you would have more control. Oh, is, okay. is there one place in particular that you want to go hunting if you got the season two? Ah, uh, yeah, Northern Australia. Really? Oh, really? Okay. Northern yeah. Territory, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. Northern Territory, right up in the Great Barrier Reef. And, I mean, there's the spear fishing. There's a huge abundance of wildlife up there. And the, if there's the, dang, lots of different animals. Everything wants to eat you up there. I mean, in the sea, they've got, they've got you know, box jellyfish, bull sharks. They've got... Saltwater crocs. <laughs> saltwater crocs. They've got... We've got um, a family member that is a cop up in the Northern Territory. Yeah, we can and maybe hook you we up. Could, we could hook you up because he does quite a bit of hunting up there. And oh, uh, yeah. the uh, rednecks are out to get you. You can't even go to the pub for a beer. <laughs> <laughs> and um, from my understanding is that if you go in the ocean, there is a high chance you will never return because there is pictures of the crocodiles grabbing the sharks. That's how competitive it is out there, that, that everything is just eating each other. And if you join in, you'll probably be part of it as well. <laughs> Sounds great, doesn't it? That's exactly <laughs> why I want to head over there. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, back to the question: where, 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 where is the future heading on for the kiwi bush? Yeah. Well, I'll probably just be going hunting and fishing. <laughs> same old, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just the same old, yeah. same old. I don't want to get, I don't want to get too carried away with this this old stardom and work thing because it'll detract from my hunting and fishing time. So, the plan is to just keep hunting and fishing, and hopefully, I might be able to afford someone to hold the camera. Hmm. and uh, possibly someone to put the videos together because that takes a lot of time, all yeah, the camera work. Yeah, and, it does. And we we know. The edit editing all the videos. I mean, I do have a certain editing style that I think adds to the appeal of the videos, but, uh, yeah, I just I just really want to get a cameraman. Well, if you ever come over here, stuff. if you ever come over here and you want to come hunting, we will film for you. Yeah, we'll film for we'll, you and we'll, arrange the hunting. And we'll, we'll arrange the hunting. That can be done. I'll, I'll, I'll hold you guys to that. That's okay. That's okay. We, 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 we have access to quite a bit of stuff. So Yeah, no, we can definitely and, hook and, you up. And, and, and you can, because uh, our series gets launched in, in February, uh, and you can, you can have a look and then you can have an idea of what, what kind of hunting we've got. Oh, you guys definitely know what you're doing with the camera, I have to say. I've watched a few of your, your videos and, and you've got some stunning cinematography in there. That's a problem. I get lots of people offering to come hunting and hold the camera here in New Zealand, but half the time it's pointed at my feet or it's, <laughs> my face is cut off and it'll be filming my hair or my beard or something. So well, it's it's that, fine, good help, isn't it? Thanks. I mean, the, I mean I'm assuming you've watched the, tr- the trailer maybe and then our pilot episode that we did? Yeah, yep, well... Yep. You know, the, the pilot episode we did was like nine minutes long. And we, we did that to get sponsorship, to show people what we were capable of doing. And we have a full appreciation on how hard it is to film yourself. And so for you doing what you're doing, your videos are amazing. Yeah, because, I, I, one thing uh, I wanted to ask, actually, is I can see in uh, like the recent videos you've done, you, you, must, you must have a, a bit of new kit. I mean, they're, they're, start, they're looking really slick. Well, I've just... There's like quite a few other YouTube channels coming out, New Zealand YouTube channels in particular, uh, where people are 
are dedicated photographers mm-hmm. and yeah. they're, they're very, very polished. They don't have the character in them like my videos do, but they're, they're definitely a lot more slick. They're a lot more polished, so I've decided to up my game a okay, bit okay. and uh, pay a bit more attention to the framing. And uh, I've also got a one of the guys who work for us. He, he's a photographer as well, so I get him to, 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 to video me. So I've got a part-time cameraman, so to speak. But I've just been paying a lot more attention to, to framing and to, to, to lighting and, and whatnot and, and also audience engagement, trying to keep my clips a bit shorter and and just polishing my act up so I stay ahead of the competition. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. I mean, we, we know from the the kit that we've got, some of it takes quite a bit of time. I mean, you know, two we've got two digital SLRs that we film with. Uh, are you filming with, you, you're filming with a digital SLR as well and, and GoPros. Yeah, SLR and a GoPro and I've got a couple of other cameras as well that I'm trialing out. Yeah, I mean, it just, it takes time. It just, it takes so much time, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, I think a lot of people don't appreciate how much time goes on behind the scenes. Like you were saying, it's not just the filming. I mean, that in itself can take time, but also putting the whole thing together. And you, you're you, right. you, you put and out to, a huge amount of good, content. To put a good video together is a hard work. You've got to match all the audio up and then you've got to catalog all of the, you know, the different, if you're using three or four cameras, yeah. you've got to bring it all together and reference it. And it takes an extremely long time to... Well, I, I've, I've, just, I've just done five days editing on 30 minutes of video, among other things, but basically about five days worth of, just for an idea of people listening to how long it takes to put these kind of films together. Because, you know, you don't just throw them together and they don't just look like that from, you know... That's you, right. You're to, and that all detracts from, uh, from my hunting and fishing time. But <laughs> I have to admit, my videos could be a lot better than they are. But I've, I just don't want to spend too much time filming and editing. So I try to just slap the, them together as best as I can. That's kind of why I need a, a photo- Once I get a dedicated photographer, as soon as I get a good sponsor and I can afford to film a photog- uh, hire a photographer that can film me full time, uh, I think the, my, my, my videos will be a, a lot better because I'll be able to put more storyline to it. Because as you know, if you're out there hunting and fishing, the last thing you want to do is to stop and get, oh, we need to get a shot of yeah, putting yeah, the bait on. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh, wait, we need to get a shot of... Of the uh, of the gun being loaded, and then we need a, a shot of the approach, and and, it, and it, you know, I just want to go out there and shoot something or catch something, and we don't have time for the stuff. Yeah, uh, no, I think Daryl Daryl gets irritated with me because I'm, he, he's he, you know he's got a he's got a good eye for it, and he does a lot of the camera work, you know, as well as hunting, but he does a lot of the camera work, and I'm just there focused hunting, looking through my binos and making a plan, and you know, you know. Slow down. Let's. We need to do this. We need to. Uh, make no, sure I'm we running after him, and he's he's chasing ahead. He's like he, he's seen something, and I've got all this camera equipment, and I'm like, slow down. I can't go as fast as you. <laughs> he's like, come on, come on. <laughs> you know what you guys should do? Because you're brothers, right? Yeah. yeah. So you guys are probably at each other's throats half the time up on the hill. You guys should do a behind. The, you should wear a GoPro. Just try hunting for a day and filming an episode and wear a GoPro each and leave that GoPro recording the whole time. Do a little behind-the-scenes thing where you're bitching and arguing. <laughs> I think that would be really fantastic. We, we, do actually, we, we do actually have quite a lot of behind-the-scenes from filming the series because we, we, we were using GoPros and there is some... There's a few bits. We're, we're, funny enough, we actually we get on pretty well. We, we do you get consider how much time we spend in each other's pockets, we, we don't fall out very often. It's, it's normally my fault, to be honest. I, 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 it, it is, and I... I <laughs> Just, you're not supposed to say that. You're supposed uh, to say it, that. It, it is, and I, I think that Byron actually gets. I don't know. 
he, he gets angry. And I think it's when I was in the military, I knew I, I learned and I was taught not to rise to anything and just not react. So when Byron gets angry at something and I have absolutely no reaction, he's just like, all right, okay, well, okay, that's that over then with. Because I've just got no reaction to it. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, I know. But uh, we, we, there will be behind the scenes in our series because that was the plan as we're releasing it to do an episode and then a behind the scenes for that that episode. Mm. Uh, well, that's the that's the plan anyway. I think we'll be wrapping up fairly soon because I know you, you've got uh, you've got more important things to do like fishing and hunting. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I wanted to know your the, your sort of social media management and how you are sort of managed to keep the sort of increased exposure that you've got. You know, you have more people subscribing to your channel every day. Obviously, there's a lot of momentum built there. But what's your what's your kind of strategy? I, I see. Obviously, I see all your posts. I have your your page favorited, so it always comes to the top of my uh, top of my feed. Which uh, anybody listening, actually, if there is a page that you really want to look at on Facebook, Joss's page or or our page or anyone else's, it's a really good thing to do that. Click the three dots, and I think yeah. it's just a favorite, and it puts a little blue star, and it means that that stuff will appear at the top fa- of your Facebook feed. filters a huge amount of of content, so you don't actually see it. You could like a page, but they won't they won't see it. It's amazing how it actually works. You but know, I have yours favorited, so it always comes to the top along with a couple of others. But how do you uh, manage it? Because it's so time consuming. Oh, it's a pain in the ass, I tell you. The, I tend to have a lot more bars now than I used to. So what I do, I'll get up in the morning and I'll go have a shit. And I'll take my little flash little <laughs> iPhone thing, which I've just bought. I, never, I only had a, a really old school cell phone, and I bought one of these new smartphone things, which is fantastic because now I can have a shit and I can do my social media in the morning and update <laughs> my statuses while I'm having a poo. Yeah. And then uh, and every every you know every, every night we bath the kids, and I usually jump in the bath, and I'll spend 20 minutes in the bath as well doing the social media stuff. Then for the rest of the day, I tend not to pay any attention to it because it it does take a lot of time. Uh, but like you said, I've built a lot of momentum and I, you've got to keep that momentum rolling because I notice if I go bush for a week and don't make any posts on Facebook, my stats start dropping and then I've got to yeah. Yeah. post things on a regular basis to build them up. So now what I do, I try to plan ahead of time and I'll schedule, I'll schedule posts. Post, it, yeah. it, it do, there's a lot yeah. of admin involved, but uh, my plan is in another year or so, I'll be able to pay someone to do that kind of thing for me so I can just focus on the hunting and yeah. the fishing. The but as it stands, I'm doing a lot of work for free, which is fantastic because I... It enables me to go out and, and hunt and fish, and I've got you know a boat sponsor. I've got clothing sponsors and, and fishing tackle sponsors. Free boats, great. You know, I wish we had a boat sponsor. We, that's what we that's what we need. A boat sponsor. <laughs> I don't know what use we'd have for it, but we want a boat sponsor. <laughs> I like. It's fantastic having a boat sponsor. I, so it's not really work for free because I get this cool free stuff out of it. I uh, I watched the episode when you went round the. The boat place. There's a wicked little boat. That that um. That what is your boat sponsor, Josh? Uh, DNA, DNA Engineering. Because it's just got a single engine on the back, but they look like they can they can go like the clappers. Yeah, they're fantastic boats. He builds jet boats and and, and ocean boats, river boats and ocean boats. Hmm. Absolutely amazing. We need a boat. Yeah. In fact, you've been talking about getting a boat for a while. I have, but I need to buy a house first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Best thing you can do is get a mate with a boat. Yeah, get him to put his money into the boat. Get a mate for the boat. That's the best the best way you can do it. Or we'll get a boat sponsor. But it's boat sponsor's kind of better than having a mate with the boat. <laughs> boat's great because they are high maintenance, those bloody boats. No, you're right. Yeah, I think the best we'll probably get is canoe. Yeah, well, we'll start with a kayak. We'll, st- we'll, we'll start with a kayak <laughs> and we'll move up. Mate, any kind of boat's great. Messing, what, who was it? Toad of Toad Hall? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yep. 
No, I, would, I actually wanted to be Toad when I grew up and just miss. No, not Toad. Ratty. What was the dude who hung out in riverbanks? Ratty. Ratty, ratty, ratty. Yeah, yeah. Ratty. Yeah, well, I Mr. Mole. Ratty, Mr. Mole. No, no. Yeah. I think Mr. Mole spent most of his time underground. Yeah, maybe he did, yeah. Still a cool dude, though. <laughs> like, Joss, it's been... It really has... I don't like to overuse this word, but it's been really awesome to have you on. And uh, thanks so much for taking the time out of your day. And uh, have a really great hunting trip, wherever it is that you're you're headed off to. And, and all the you know very best luck with everything that you're you're doing right now. Hope we see uh, another season of uh, the, the your Discovery show. I, I need to catch up. I haven't had a chance because I've been away for the last 10 days. Um, so I haven't had a chance to even watch the first um, first few episodes yet. But you haven't seen any of it. No. So, uh, but I, I, I re- we both really enjoy what you do, and I just hope that you can uh, keep on doing it and keep providing us with awesome content to look at. Awesome. Cheers, boys. Uh, thanks, thanks for the for the phone call, and I'll catch up with you when I'm in England next, which will probably be in a couple of months. Thank you very much for watching the show and listening to the show. If you're listening on well, all our other platforms apart from YouTube. Uh, we've really enjoyed having Josh on, and uh, what about you, Byron? Have you enjoyed? Yeah, it's uh, I've ever since seeing um, Josh's YouTube channel, he's always he was always a bloke that I just wanted to have a chat to, and well, I really would, it would be awesome to hunt with him some at some point. It is, and he's he's just as uh, relaxed and chilled, and in yeah, he is he. I mean, obviously, we spoke speak to him a little bit before and a little bit after the podcast, and. He is just as sort of <laughs> he's exactly as he comes across on camera or on anything else he does. He he's just a very, very chilled out guy. Yeah. And uh yeah, says exactly what's on his mind, which um you you probably realise during our, this podcast. Our last <laughs> this podcast and our next one coming up are both are both uh, gonna be explicit podcasts due due to our guests. Yeah, I know our guests just don't seem to be able to hold their tongues. No, they can't. Yeah, it's but it's all it's all the people that are abroad actually. If you, if, if you actually if you it's act- all our foreign friends. all our foreign friends. It's you, true if, actually. If you actually look at our podcast list and you go down it and all the ones that say explicit are all from abroad. Our, our friends from Denmark. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. David and uh, Jens as well. Yep. Yeah. They they caused us to have to have to add the little explicit title to the podcast. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's it, it's it's pretty mild. But uh, we we do that just just in case. Uh, there's anybody who would be offended by the very, very occasional swear word from our guest. We probably should have said this at the beginning, actually. Well, yeah, we probably should have. Well, anyway. I'll, I'll write explicit on the on the description, so you uh, you can read. But our next guest is explicit. As yes, well. and our but our next guest uh, is another very well known person. I, mean, I think Josh James is probably the most famous person we've had on so far. Um, but can we say who we're having on next? Yeah, we can say who we're having on next. Yeah, we're having Michaela from Michaela Hunting. If you don't know who that is, uh, although she has like 150,000 people that follow her, so you probably do already, uh, put in Michaela Hunting into Facebook and And you'll find her. Or if you search her name on Google, you will come up with loads of newspaper articles on her. If you watch um, Field Sports Channel as well, she often is on Field Sports Channel, so that's where you might... Yeah, if you put no. her name in and Field Sports Channel on YouTube, yeah, you can, you'll see you some can watch some of her videos that are in English. Yeah, yeah. So she's going to be on in two weeks' time. Yes. So that's going to be that's going to be that's going to be brilliant. Yeah. Which, in, well, Byron said in two weeks' time. So don't forget that the podcast is out every two weeks, and 
it is out on the Thursday. Normally, we try and get it on the Thursday for iTunes and Stitcher. So if you've subscribed, uh, then you'll get that sometimes Wednesday evening, Thursday morning. And for everyone else, the, the YouTube people and the SoundCloud people, you get it on the Friday. And then you get to say, see us. So... But uh, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. And please let us know if you want any topics discussed. Yeah, yeah. chuck us a comment either on through the Facebook platforms or, I mean, YouTube allows you to comment. Uh, I mean, you could even do it while you're writing a review on iTunes if you want to, to leave you us can. a comment and, and request something. Yep. And that's you, great. We, we do read, well, we read, we, we read all of it. So We do. So head over to the podcast uh, Facebook page, the... I think it's Podcast Into the Wilderness. No, uh, Pace Brothers Podcast. No, that's the YouTube channel. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, head over to the, our, our Facebook. You've confused me <laughs> Yeah, I know. Head over to our Facebook page and then you can comment and give us a like and then you can chat with us. And we, we do try and get around to everyone and we do try and bring guests on and people that will yeah. suit your questions and your needs that you're... But thank you very much for uh, listening to the show. Yeah, thank you very much. This podcast is uh, brought to you and supported by the Scottish Association for Country Sports. If you have never heard of them before, then go and check out their website. Just put them into Google and you'll find them. Even if you even if you put in SACS. Yeah, or SACS. That's just, what mo- that's what most people yeah, refer just to it. Just S-A-C-S. And uh, yeah, put that in. They've also got a Facebook page as well, which they share our... They, they share our, a lot of great content on there. Yeah, actually. they do. A lot of uh, stuff that's... Uh, very relevant to legislation changes, important things that are happening for wildlife management and hunting around the world. Even so if you aren't a, a member, or yeah, if you, even if you're not, not a member, member, it's actually still a, a really good platform just to see stuff that's going on in the UK with country sports because they 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 are very up to date and current with with their yeah, content. They're, they're involved in a, a lot of the a lot of the changes and a, a lot of the legislation that is coming up, and uh, yeah, they they keep very much on on top of everything that's going on so if you check out and follow them on on facebook if you're a facebook user you'll be pretty much up to date with with everything that's going on there yeah you will be and this is our second uh youtube uh channel video yeah so hopefully those people who are on youtube who didn't like it before because it was nothing no pretty pictures to look at are enjoying it more now that they can see so us on hello screen. and thank you to everyone that's watching on youtube hit subscribe if you've enjoyed it even if you haven't enjoyed it subscribe anyway and <laughs> uh lastly before we go uh keep your eye out because we will be launching actually by the time no i don't think it will quite be out by the time this goes out but we are about to launch our into the wilderness series on youtube in fact uh, this will be out in time for the British shooting show. Almost, I think. Yeah, we'll, yes. we'll, we'll try this, and time this, it. This podcast will be out um, in time for the British shooting show, or the weekend of the British shooting show, uh, and we're going to be there. So, if you're listening to this and you were thinking, oh, maybe I'm not going to go to the British shooting show, go because we're going to be there. So you can come and have a chat. Yeah, say hello um, to us. It'll be, it'll, yeah, it'll be good. We're going to be there with our our sponsors. Um, uh, Vortex and Fortis certainly have a stand. I'm not sure if Castrum have a stand, but if you have any questions about that, we, you know, we, we will certainly be there. And, and, uh, um, and one of our, uh, well, actually, and uh, Beth from from Sax yep, is going to be there as well. So if you have any questions that are Sax related, 
um, she will be milling around with us as well. So you'll be able to speak to her too. And uh, in fact, uh, there was actually a comment on our page uh, last week, the week before. Um, it wasn't actually directed at us. It was more the question of do these like, because we run quite a few competitions. We're very lucky that our sponsors give um, us the chance to give away prizes. And someone commented saying, um, do these Facebook competitions really work? Well, yeah. uh, does anybody actually win? Yeah, anything? does anything win anything? Uh, we can't say anything for other people, uh, but I can guarantee that all our competitions, the winners are real. And in fact, one of our winners of our last thing, which was uh, oil lamp, a ca- cas- uh, castrum oil lamp, yep, it the was a sax membership, sax membership, and, and a Fortis fishing, Fortis belt. fishing belt. They're coming to pick it up at the British Shooting Show. So. The win- the, they are winners. We'll put up a picture for you. Yeah, we'll take a picture. We'll stick it yeah. on... Oh, yeah, yeah, actually, I was going to say, we'll stick it on Instagram. There's also an Instagram account as well. I forgot about our Instagram, which yeah, it's is not, actually... Uh, not really for the podcast, but it's no, for it's the, not, the it's, series. Yeah, it's, it's just me and Barn really, doing doing our thing. Just all the stuff that we do while we're filming the series that's coming out, um, there's pictures relevant to that on there. So if you're... Uh, I don't even I don't use Instagram. Byron doesn't use I but, use but Instagram. Daryl uses Instagram, so he he keeps everybody up to date on that. And we've got like three three thousand, almost three thousand. Uh, so there's quite is, a few, yeah, which is really good. But, but thank you very much for listening. We yeah, won't keep you any thank longer. Thank you much for listening, and, and uh, thank tune you in for, again in two weeks. Thank you for watching on YouTube as well yeah. for our second show. But yeah, tune in again in two weeks' time. Bye now. Bye. <laughs>